Cowabunga, everybody, and welcome to All In. My name is Super Eric 64. And I am Disney Seth Storm. Hey, you ready to go, man? Dude, I'm so glad we booked this summer vacation episode. It's been way too long since we've had a little downtime over here. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? And I just cannot wait to hit the beach. You know, maybe I'll grab a power disc and tear it up with the Windjammer Elite. I don't know. Maybe I'll grab a hover nozzle. Who knows? Choices. So, which one are we going to? Would why choose a beach? All of the beaches. We can't just settle on one for this episode. So we're gonna count down our top five favorite beaches in Nintendo history. Oh, that's a lot of beach. And our job is beach. I love it. But don't forget, I want to make sure we spend some time on the boardwalk. We got to do some carnival games, get some touristy souvenirs, and, and we've got to find a banging arcade. Arcade is the move. And I've got the perfect one. It might sound weird, but King Wash Laundry actually just opened up a new arcade. And I hear it's amazing. Some are even calling it an arcade paradise. Makes sense, considering that the people from Nosebleed Games and Wired Productions helped them put it together. I can't wait to tell you all about it on the way in our indie showcase. Oh, sounds perfect. And I know this might be a little backwards for me, but I found us the perfect spot to relax and lay back after we expend all that energy. I heard about this awesome, maybe, resort. It's called PNF 404. It's got areas like the Sun Speckled Terrace and Serene Shores. It's got a huge barbecue you wouldn't believe. And uh, I figure it's going to be the perfect way for us to wind down at the end of it all. I figure we can maybe even review the place if it's good enough. Eric, you know that's not a resort, right? You're you're just talking about Pikmin 4, Nintendo's newest release. Oh, um, well, we can still review it though, right? No, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Oh, good. Well, well then we'll just end things with our full review of Pikmin 4. All right, buddy, you packed and ready to go? You know it. Let's get the sunscreen ready and get this summer vacation started. It's time to go all in. That's right, everybody. It's a summer episode here on All In Nintendo Podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show. Reaching every week, no shells left unturned, no point is left unearned. We thought it was time. We're here. It's August. We got to do a summer episode, baby. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's time to, like, really kind of, you know, I'm not a huge summer guy, if I'm being honest, but I like the vibes. When, when you live in Louisiana and it's, like, 110 degree heat index <laughs> with humidity. Um, see, see, that's the thing. <laughs> with humidity is incredibly yeah. crucial to that because, yes, as somebody who lived there for several years of my own life, summers in Louisiana can be oppressive. It's bad. Absolutely oppressive. It's like an airborne swamp sometimes. But I mean, you, you got to find the good stuff where you can. You still got to find a way to enjoy the summer a little bit. And over here in Florida, I mean, you can't not get swept up in the summer vibes when you live just a couple blocks from the ocean. So, I mean, it was it was long past time that, that we did a proper summer episode again. Yeah. Well, you do have to take the, the good stuff where you can get it. You know what else is good, Eric? The, best. Uh, the bodacious, the bodacious dudes and babes 
who make up our amazing legendary patrons. That's right. We need to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash all in podcast. Huge thanks to all the uh, friends and supporters over there who are making the dream come true, keeping the lights on over here. Want to especially thank our golden banana tier supporters like Rob Yapel, third strongest mole, Sean, Sean O'Baggins Ashton, Tim A, aka Neo Prime 33, aka Nintendo Dad number four, Matt, Shy Guy City Murray, Phelan Ward, Bill Tucker, Marcus O'Neill, Liam D. Bowza, Gamer Jason, Andrew Wilkins, and Foolish Fuji. Big thanks to all of our Golden Banana Tier patrons. But to move into our Triforce tier, we need to thank Josh Vaughn, the godfather of Tingle Love Tuesday, John Datfast Cummins of the Retro Logic Podcast, as well as the On Topic Retro Podcast, the Globetrotten Jet Set Nintendo Hub and Sparky of the Nintendo Hub over there on YouTube, who's been killing it actually lately on the Nintendo yeah. Hub on YouTube. He's been selling me way too many games. Over <laughs> those videos. Big shout outs to the Nintendo <laughs> Hub. Adam Caparello of the Retro Groove Podcast, as well as Octorock1982, also been killing it on YouTube with some classic Game Fest coverage. A shout outs to Adam on YouTube. Shy Guy, the other half of our Shy Guy mod squad, who just in general kills it. Um, Daniel Hinojosa, Dan and Luma, Solo Something, and the legend himself. The Kelly Slater of the all-in community. <laughs> Uncle Randy. How how like much of our audience do you think even knows who Kelly Slater is? Genuinely. I, I, <laughs> maybe one? You know what? I'm I'm not giving our audience enough credit. I'm sure people are at least aware of Kelly Slater's Pro Surfer from, you know, it's been a while since that game came out, but still. Yeah. But still. I mean, that's how I, that's how I know of Kelly Slater, but it's, exactly. um, it's you know, that's, know of Kelly Slater. <laughs> it's, a, it's a certainly a reference. Yeah. Of course, huge thanks to uncle Randy. Thanks so much to everybody who supports us on Patreon, uh, throws us a couple bones for, uh, for our hard work. We really appreciate it. You can of course support the show entirely for free by uh, leaving us a five-star review on your podcast listening service of choice real quick and easy. And if you leave words of that review, I will shout them out here on the show. So please do that. That is greatly appreciated. Um, but sir, what has been going on in your world this week? Well, there's a few things that I want to highlight. Yes, it's summer and we're celebrating the vibes and everything, but man, whew, it's Evo weekend, man. And I just, I want to punch stuff. I can't help it. <laughs> digitally, 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 digitally. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Uh, and thankfully, the eShop has had me covered this week. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, I even checked out, uh, I'll even be checking out the uh, the game trial uh, Dragon Ball Fighters this oh, right. week. I played it on the, the PlayStation 4, but I do want to check out the Nintendo Switch version. It is the game trial. For, uh, the free game trial for Evo Weekend. So it's currently, as this episode is going live, it's currently free for the next several days in its entirety. So I will be checking that out. But my pugilistic, uh, uh, my pugilistic itch was uh, itched, was scratched a few times this week with uh, Double Dragon Gaiden Rise of the Dragons that uh, I did a video for and make sure to go ahead and check that out on our YouTube page. Really, really interesting take on the beat em up genre because it's kind of like, it's got these roguelike elements to it. You've got your classic double dragon characters. You've got Billy Lee, Jimmy Lee. You've got Marion who's playable again, just like she was in river city girls too. Um, 
Uncle Mateen, and then a bunch of old classic Double Dragon characters that you can unlock. But there are four stages. But each time you beat a stage, the other stages get beefier, longer, and more difficult. And every time you beat a section of a stage, you can use the money that you've collected thus far to buy new power-ups to, you know, <laughs> to enhance your chances of being able to complete a run. So really cool, really interesting uh, take. They've also got this really weird tag mechanic. You play as two separate characters effectively. Uh, it's <laughs> anybody who's played something like Marvel versus Capcom or ironically enough, Dragon Ball Fighters should know how that works. So you've got, uh, I played as the Brothers Lee in my video, but you can tag them out and they've got different attacks that work fairly uniquely. So it's, it's really interesting mastering that mechanic as well. Definitely check out my video on Double Dragon Guide and Rise of the Dragons currently up on our YouTube page. Yeah, looked fun. I'm disappointed that there's no online. Yeah, I am too. I was actually hoping that you and I could do a playthrough, but turns out there's no way for us to do that that is that's probably my biggest knock against the game because especially when you've got stuff like streets of rage 4 when you've got stuff like tmnt shredders revenge when you've got stuff like scott pilgrim all these great modern beat-em-ups that all have online play like you can't not have online play i feel like especially for a game that that is begging to be played online mm-hmm so hopefully they can add that post-launch. The game just came out. Uh, but yeah, that and I, you know, I, I had this to say about uh, another game previously. I had this to say about AEW Fight Forever recently. But like a lot of these fighting games and wrestling games and beat-em-ups and all of these combat-heavy games are coming out. And none of them have HD rumble anymore. And it, mm. I just feel like it's such a missed opportunity because when it, when it comes to games like that, specifically like beat em ups, like fighters, like wrestling games, the HD rumble could be such a boon, such a great way to sell how visceral and how intense the combat is. Like, I just, I feel like it's such a missed opportunity. I don't know if there's Rumble on the other systems, but AEW doesn't have HD Rumble. Uh, Double Dragon Gaiden didn't have HD Rumble. Uh, so that, like, honestly, developers, if I don't know, I'm sure it's a nightmare to code because it's a completely different type of input than, you know, than what you're seeing on screen. But man, is it so cool when it's implemented well. So, ah, oh man. But still, I still enjoy the game. Again, check out the video. But that wasn't the only fighting that I've done this past week. I also was able to check out a game that I've been looking forward to. A new Kaiju Arena Brawler mm -hmm. just released this week on the uh, Nintendo Switch eShop. And I am stoked. It's called Giga Bash. Yeah, looks cool. I've had my eye on that for a minute, too. Yeah, I have uh, as well huge like King of the Monsters vibes from the Neo Geo, huge War of the Monsters vibes from the PlayStation 2. Even reminds me a little bit of WayForward's Dawn of the Monsters. And this game clearly bucking a trend because it's not Gigabash of the Monsters. It's it's just Gigabash. Just Gigabash. Yeah. Just Gigabash. But it is a uh, up to four player kaiju arena brawler and i gotta say man i really dig it 
I really do. It's another video that's currently up on our YouTube channel. Go ahead and check that out. I did a playthrough of one of the guest characters because Toho yeah. was apparently interested enough and they were impressed enough with the game that they licensed four of Godzilla's iconic characters as playable characters in Gigabash. In addition to, I don't want to discount the uh, the original characters in Gigabash because there's some really, really interesting, really unique fighters in and amongst there. But I'd be lying if I said that the inclusion of Godzilla, of Gigan, who is a personal favorite of mine, of Mecha G, Mecha Godzilla himself, and Destoroya didn't incredibly excite me about this game. And oh, I wound up, uh, I got my lunch handed to me and then <laughs> stolen again and then eaten in front of me by the computer on normal mode when I first booted it up so i had to go through easy mode but i did uh, i did wind up playing through an arcade a whole arcade mode with godzilla and man it's so cool it really is it's it's never going to be at evo it's never it's not the precision fighting game like it's it's not street fighter it's not mortal Kombat. it's not that type of game it's meant to be just an arena party you know just kaiju smash fest big moves you know knocking off a of big moves just pure fun it's not meant to be balanced it's just meant to be crazy kaiju smashing fun and in that regard it succeeds wonderfully in my opinion i hope they continue to build this game for years to come the environments are all super interesting just about everything you see is interactable in some way you can you can destroy the entire city if you want to you can pick up just about anything you can see and lob it at your opponent all the monsters have just enough attacks to to give them enough of a varied move set and again it's it's four player uh, up to four player it's that it, one has online gigabash has online play there are several different offline like in addition to the arcade mode it's got a story check out the video check out the video there's there's a ton of reasons to be excited about gigabash if you were a fan of like godzilla destroy all monsters melee back on the gamecube or if you played war of the monsters there hasn't been a true game like this uh, on a Nintendo console in quite some time. And I'm very happy to say that I really, really dig Gigabash. So if you're a Kaiju fan, if you're a giant monster fighting fan, because who wouldn't be? Definitely at least give a uh, definitely at least give a cursory glance to Gigabash. Again, currently on the eShop. I will say it's $24.99 for the base game. It's $9.99 for the Godzilla uh, DLC, and it is a 7.7 gigabyte file. So as far as indie games go, it is a very sizable chunk of your Switch memory. So just wanted to throw that out there, but it's it's definitely worth checking out. I have had my pugilistic itch sufficiently scratched this past week leading up to Evo, my friend. Yeah, I really want to play. I'm probably going to wind up picking this up. Um, the, it's the game, a lot of fun. It looks super fun, but the Godzilla DLC alone really exactly. makes me want to get it. Like I I've been a Godzilla fan my entire life and it is like the 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 model that they use for Godzilla is that classic like yep. lion face frosted tips Godzilla that I grew up with. 
And dude, like, <laughs> dude, if, like if you're a Godzilla fan, there's even like a powered up mode in the game, and it's 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 nuclear Godzilla, it's flaming yeah. Godzilla. Oh my god, it's so good! And he's got this dashing attack. You remember that nuts dashing attack he used in Godzilla versus Gigan, where oh, yeah. he's basically just horizontal the entire time. Yep. He's he's got that attack in just the straight game. Torpedo. <laughs> it's um, it's so good. They clearly. They were clearly Godzilla fans um, over at the Gigabash studio. I Man, they understood the assignment when it came to incorporating those characters. When I saw that torpedo kick for Godzilla, I audibly laughed out loud. I was like, yes! Well, and, yes! and honestly, like even just the, the characters they chose for that pack, I think is, is a really... Like, you know, a lot of people would have said King Ghidorah, Mothra, yeah. like these sort of yeah. fan favorite, you know, kaiju. And I would have liked to see them too, but like to, yeah, to have like Gigan, like, and even like Mechagodzilla, which I've always had a really soft spot for. Um, that yeah. is actually probably my favorite Godzilla movie is Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Um, yeah. And um, I've always had a really soft spot for that. So that is like, it feels like a fan pick. And I, I mean, I hope they add more characters, but, uh, but yeah, that alone really makes me want to play it. Uh, it looks really good. I'm so. sure a lot of people are lukewarm on Gigan, but I've always loved Gigan. I was so happy that, that he's in the, and it would not surprise me at all if this game does well, if uh, Toho increases the depth of their partnership with this game, it would not surprise I mean, meh, I honestly, I could see them adding like some King of Tokyo monsters in this or like that'd Pacific Rim monsters in this. That would be, oh my God, that'd be so great. I just, I think about the potential for what this game could do because I enjoyed it so much. And oh man, yeah, definitely check out Gigabash, everyone. Now that I think about it, you know, like we have like Wingspan and like Cats of Calico. Give us a digital King of Tokyo game. Like where you can play it online with people, like make that a thing. Why is that not a thing? That'd be awesome. King of Tokyo is such a fun game. Yeah, that'd be sick. Actually, so good. Nice. Oh well, Kaiju's. I I gotta play it. Yeah, (laughs) I I I, I really want to play it. Um, the only thing that I'll really shout out. Um, and I put up a video on the YouTube channel for this as well. Um, I'll shout out a, a a couple things. Um, first of all, I want to point people to friend of the show, Jurag News, uh, podcast. He took a little bit of a hiatus off of the house of Mario, but he recently relaunched with this like new kind of concept called house of Mario sleepovers, which is basically, it's like a weekly thing where like a guest comes on and you basically just talk about anything and everything. And, um, it's called sleepover at the house of Mario. And, um, I was the first guest. We recorded it actually like months ago, like two months ago. Um, and he posted the first episode today. Um, and, um, at the time we're recording this and, um, that's up. I would love for people to go and check that out. If you look up the house of Mario, you'll find it. Uh, it's a great podcast. Drew's a great guy. He's, um, and he works, he works so hard on his show and like, his stuff is all so high quality and I just don't feel like it gets the attention it deserves. And he's, he's just a great friend. And, um, I mean like we literally, we sat down and recorded like a three hour podcast together. And then <laughs> after the mic stopped rolling, we continued to talk for another two hours on top of that. I mean, it just, it did feel like a sleepover. Like it felt like we were just hanging out, 
you know, talking about everything under the sun. We talked about like Kid Icarus Uprising and like, all kinds of nice. stuff on, on the show. So I want to point I'll people to, to that. I'll have to sleep over with Drew sometime. Yeah. Well, that's, he, he's like, hey, DMs are open. Anyone who wants to come on, uh, slide into the DMs. So yeah, it's just, it was, it was a great time and I'm glad that it's finally out there. Um, and I think people should support Drew. He, he works so hard on that stuff and I think he deserves a lot more attention than he gets. So I wanted to shout that out. Um, and then in terms of games though, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I've been playing, y'all are going to hear about. So like a lot of Pikmin four, we're going to do our review of that, uh, at the top of the show and then Disney illusion Island, which we're going to review next week. So yep. (laughs) Like you uh, and I have both been playing a lot of Disney illusion Island this week as well. So we're doing our review of Pikmin four this week. We're doing our review of Disney illusion Island next week so definitely be on the lookout for that yeah get excited for that so it's it's been a lot of that but uh the one thing i did sneak in there in between that is uh venba which came out this week um i've had my eyes on venba for quite some time and Mm -hmm. uh was happy to pick that up and you know support the devs who poured their heart and soul into this game and it's a quick playthrough you can play through it in you know two to three hours it took me like just over two hours um it's short and sweet but man it is just one of the most heartwarming games you'll ever play it is just like it is just a warm hug in video game form. It is one of the most sweet, like life affirming games that I've ever played all about this family who are Indian immigrants that immigrated over to Canada and are effectively just trying to make a new life for themselves and for their new son. Um, and it just gets into like the struggles that they faced, things like language barrier and cultural differences. And also like, sort of like growing up with a son who is Canadian, but his parents are immigrants and stuff. And so there's a cultural gap there where they're making all this incredible Indian food, but he's like, I want pizza, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, And so you're having these like great, you know, these great moments of like character interaction, but punctuating them is the food that you're cooking um, as the titular Venba, basically the mother um, you're cooking these like recipes handed down from your mother. A lot of the times the the recipes have like missing pieces. So the puzzle comes from kind of figuring out how to prepare the meals correctly. Um, just these incredible like looking Indian dishes that like Indian is my favorite like food type or genre. I don't know. What would you, what would you call it? Genre? <laughs> like, I don't know. What is it? Your your favorite uh, nationality, your favorite I guess. ethnicity. I don't. I, I don't know. That's there's there must be a better word that I'm not thinking of. But I love Indian food, and um and so to favorite make category. Yeah, it, it's it's my favorite type of food, and I just love it. I love the colors, the spices, the flavors. Um, and spices, it also yes, yeah. It's just so. I mean, it's delicious, and uh, and the way it's all <laughs> rendered in the game, like it is probably I've never like been like hungrier playing a game like i've never played a game that had like food in it that made me as hungry um it's it's really really great and like i think it really kind of taps into the sort of power that food has like food is a tether to family Mm -hmm. and culture and like memories and stuff and the game is all about that it's just it's just a great heartwarming story i recommend it to anybody and, um, again, you can just feel, um, I, I have to imagine 
that this is a quite autobiographical game for the developers and you can just feel the passion uh, in the game. So highly recommend it. I did put up a video on the YouTube channel uh, for it. If you want to kind of see what the game looks like in motion. Um, I played it for a little less than 30 minutes, you know, so it, that's a pretty big chunk of the game. So I, I recommend, uh, you know, maybe going in and, and getting a feel for it, but then just playing it for yourself. Cause again, it's the perfect like weekend game. You're going to play it in one sitting. Uh, and I recommend you do just play through the whole thing in one sitting. And, uh, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful game. Highly recommend Venba. Yeah, I'll probably be checking that out sometime soon as yeah. well. But that that's honestly one of the things that I love most about this show is, hey, Seth, what have you been up to? Well, you know, I played a, a short little really cozy, really life-affirming, cool uh, indie game about an Indian family of immigrants to Canada making food and everything. Eric, what did you do? Giant lizard go boom. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, um, so, I mean, yeah, so much variety and amazing independent games coming out every week, you know, um, it really is. So, you yeah. guys are killing it. Yeah. Shout out to all the amazing indie devs out there that don't get the credit they deserve. Well, we, uh, we give them credit here, man. That's yeah, such a, do. that's a huge part of, of our lifeblood. But Eric, with all that out of the way, uh, we need to get the summer beach party started and, yes. uh, you, sunscreen, <laughs> I got the beach balls. I am ready to do this baby. Yes. That's right. We, uh, we, we wanted to do a summer themed episode this week and we've done like kind of a summer, a couple like kind of summer themed episodes. We really wanted to sort of be all about it this week. Um, especially when it came to the top five and we thought there are a couple different ways uh, we could do this. We've talked about games that have summer vibes and like implementations and stuff like this, but why don't we get hyper specific and talk about beaches, just like the beach levels in Nintendo games and in Nintendo history. So yes, this week in the top five for the summer celebration, we are counting down the top five beach levels in Nintendo history. All right, Eric, the top five beach-themed levels for summer. <laughs> what are the rules? Well, for this, we are talking about levels, first of all. We are not talking about full games. So while there aren't too many of them out there, entire games that you could really are make an argument that are themed around kind of a beach or island motif, something like Wind Waker, perhaps, mm. something like Wavetail, perhaps. We're leaving those off the list. We are just sticking to individual areas, individual levels that stick out over the course of an entire game. And we are making a distinction between beast-themed levels and straight-up, like, underwater levels. So... Like something like Coral Capers from the original Donkey Kong Country may not qualify for this list, but the beach area from Donkey Kong Country Returns absolutely would. Yep, that's it. I mean, that's and that's the thing, too, is like when you make that distinction, there's actually quite a lot of good beach levels uh, in, in Nintendo history, so... Yeah, you don't have to spend the entire time on the beach. There can be some water-based gameplay, but the beach does have to be a focal point of the area of the level. It has to be themed around the beach. It can't just be like an underwater cave that may be connected to a beach. It can't just be a, a water level that probably has some sand outside. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, to kick off uh, my list with number five, my list actually, and maybe this is recency bias, you can say whatever you want. My number five <laughs> is actually a level from Pikmin 4, Serene Shores. Very nice. Yeah. Yes, the third area of the brand new Pikmin 4. It's got a little bit of a gimmick to it. It does. I don't want to like say too much because the game's still pretty new. Of course, we're doing our review at the top of the show. Um, mm-hmm. But the the sort of stage gimmick of, of uh, Area 3 of Serene Shores is that, um, you know, Pikmin 4, like past Pikmin games, operates on a day-night cycle. And when it hits midday, the tide lowers. Um, and basically like half of the level is revealed and becomes explorable and it's really cool. And it's like, it really kind of feeds into the, um, the, the Dondori, the thing that is at the heart of Pikmin, the way you're strategizing and planning out your day when you know that at midday, the rest of the level is going to be accessible to you. I thought that was really cool. And to be honest, um, all of the other levels in the game, there are some other like sort of stage gimmicks, you know, throughout the course of the game, not to spoil too much, but yeah, none of them were as cool as that for me. Yeah, nothing really as overt as something like that. When it comes to those those area gimmicks, that one absolutely stands out above the others. Yeah, and even just like the visuals of it, the things that you're sort of doing, like when you first enter that stage, for example... Um, you don't have the capacity to get this like gigantic watermelon just yet. (laughs) And like, so that kind of becomes like the crown jewel of the level a little bit. Like it feels really good when you're finally able to like, to transport that watermelon, you know, back to base. And that alone is just like, it's sandy. It's got the rocks. It's got the little sand castles and stuff. There's plenty of water and swimming, um, plenty of like beachy items and treasures, but to have that like big old watermelon there, like nothing screams summer like a watermelon <laughs> in the middle of a sandy area in Pikmin 4. So I just, I, I really liked it. That was probably my favorite of the biomes in Pikmin 4. So, yeah. And honestly, I'm not just saying this because we're talking about it this week for summer, but low key, like the beach area trope in video games, especially in Nintendo games, may honestly be like my favorite biome. Mm -hmm. When I see a beach area, like you always have, you've got the tropes, you've got your plains area, your woods area, your river area, your volcano area, your ice area, and so on and so forth. But like, I always am excited to see the beach area of any game. Uh, Like I said, Loki, I think it may be my favorite kind of biome trope in video games. And I really, really like what Pikmin 4 did with it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Shout outs. It's uh, Serene Shores. Really good. Yes. But going into my number five, man, I'll tell you, on the Nintendo 64, there was something that just immediately put me in the summer vibe, Seth. And that was Wave Race 64. Nice. And of course, the very first level, Sunny Beach, as well as Dolphin Park. Uh, Like, I mean, you know, like, you, it just feels like summer. I feel like I want to go to the beach when I play that level. I feel like I need an icy 
or a snow cone when I play that <laughs> level. I feel like I need to blow up a beach ball when I play that level. That, uh, in terms of just evoking a summer vibe, man, that it's it's nearly flawless. It really is. It is the first level that you see in Wave Race 64. That means just about everybody who turned the game on played through Sunny Beach. And uh, it's simple. It's perfect. It absolutely flawlessly sets the stage for the rest of the game because the rest of the game actually takes place in a pretty varied set of levels. You're in this weird, like, polluted uh factory area you actually race around a marine base you race around this like bass fishing lake or something but yeah i'll never forget so it's honestly sometimes i boot it up i boot up wave race 64 on the uh, n64 app just just to do that just to do a couple laps around sunny beach man i really do nice yeah it, you know it's funny when you were talking about like n64 I thought you were going to go with like Koopa Troopa Beach for Mario Kart. I thought oh. I thought that's where you were going. So oh. mm. well, we, we mm. may be talking about Koopa Troopa. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Well, going into my number four, um, it wouldn't be a Seth list if it didn't have some sort of analgesic, you know, representation <laughs> on it. Um, my number four is the Restview Beach area of even the ocean. Um, which is Analgesic's second uh, game after Anodyne 1, a game that I love quite a lot. And that area of the game is really cool and interesting. And it was it was when the game kind of really like clicked for me, actually, because um, even the ocean is a beautiful game. Like the, the actual pixel art is kind of like, it looks fine. It looks like you would think it was like a Celeste, you know, sort of thing. But what really sets even the ocean apart visually is the backgrounds. And that Restview Beach area, the background is stunning. Just this beach that is sort of locked in perpetual twilight. This sort of sunset kind of like just bathing the sides of the ocean that stretches off into nothingness and the sort of like purpley glow over the whole thing and the coral. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful, like painterly background. Um, and the music that plays there is probably my favorite track in the entire game. Um, it's, it's excellent stuff. And then it also has this interesting, like, this interesting narrative thing where there's a gigantic starfish that like is telepathic and communicates to the people on the beach and you go inside of the starfish and um, it's, it's a really standout moment in a game full of standout moments. And um, it was one of the first games that one of the first beach levels that came to my mind when I was thinking of this list. So. Nice. I respect <laughs> that. I respect that. Even the Ocean, we did an indie showcase on that one not too long ago. So go ahead and check our indie showcase about uh, one of our many analgesic indie showcases that we've already done mm -hmm. this past year. But going into my number four, this is actually where I put my indie representation. And you're you're going to very quickly see a theme when it comes to my list and that is you know bright colors and exuberant and whimsical and, and all this just fun essentially 
My number four is Lunistis, stage two, act one and two, summer colon beach. Summer good slash one. beach. Yeah. Uh, Lunistis, another game that we've done an indie showcase on. Uh, really simple concept. It was essentially created as a Dreamcast era, low poly 3D action platformer. Not really too convoluted not really too complex you just you go from a to b there's a couple divergent paths but it plays beautifully and the level design is really strong and the second set of stages uh the the second little two pack of uh levels in the game is the beach area and it's really cool the game does commit a cardinal sin of having a ton of beach umbrellas and not having those be bouncy Mm -hmm. i i figured it was in the bylaws somewhere that if you have a beach umbrella in a video game it has to be bouncy but yeah that is kind of a kind of an unwritten rule yeah (laughs) now they they do have uh did uh uh grumpy fox did put beach balls which are bouncy and that's that's the bouncy aspect of it but just like the rest of the game like i said it's just you know 10 15 minutes of really entertaining really cool um just really i won't say mindless 3d platforming but just smooth there's a flow to lunistis that you can kind of just get lost in and that's one of the cool things about it and that flow it's just really accentuated when you're talking about something like a summer or watery vibe. They've got a couple interesting water bubble gimmicks in the stage that the bubbles take you somewhere. But honestly, one of the coolest things about those two levels is several times there's just these suspended massive spheres of water that you just jump into that also have platforms in them. These just randomly suspended spheres of of water you can and stuff like that is just always so cool to me as you'll see from my number one uh but yeah lunistis is great and the flow from the game perfectly you know fits with a a summer beach water motif like that it's really good they've got like i said beach balls and sand and beach umbrellas and all kinds of things all around it's it's chef's kiss Great game. And it's like five bucks also. Yeah. I mean, it's and, a no-brainer. And then, and he's working on like a massive update currently for the game that I'm really excited for. As well as so. a sequel. <laughs> so, yeah, as well as, yeah, yeah, as well as a sequel. So. so yeah, plenty of Lunistus to come. Well, uh, going into my number three, and this is another one that I knew was going to have to be on my list right away. Uh, my number three is Abandoned Beach from Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Uh, a very memorable moment for me when playing the game. This is another one where, and I think I'm in agreement with you, like beach levels can really stand out. I think like when, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was playing Kirby in the forgotten land, like the game impresses right away and it makes immediate sense how Kirby sort of works in, you know, proper 3d. It's great game. You know, I mean, Literally, the first moment of gameplay in Kirby and the Forgotten Land is him washing up on a beach. It's true, yeah. But, like, you get into it, and it's kind of like in this Last of Us-looking area for the first, yeah. you know, world and stuff. And that that's all great. But when you get to the second, you know, sort of world, Everbay Coast, I think it is, um, and that f- very first stage, the abandoned beach... 
um, man, it just really is like, okay, this is the game now. Like, this is what, like, like we're here. This is the vibes. It starts off. The music's incredible on that stage. One of the best tracks in the entire game for my money. But it's little which is things. Saying something. It would just say it's got an incredible soundtrack. Um, but it's little tiny stuff. Like there's, <laughs> there's a moment in it where you're like ring mouth Kirby with the mouthful mode yeah, and yeah. you're using the boat <laughs> to like steer around. There are little, like the, the little, I don't know what the enemies are called. The little fish enemies are like doing synchronized yep. swimming, like in the water like and, um, man, the vibes are just right. There's waterfalls and there's little like, you know, beach islets and stuff. And man, it's just a, it's just a total treat of a level like it's just a complete pleasure one of the um side objectives is to find this like a woofy sand sculpture and um that's pretty good you know the the food uh <laughs> item drops in there are all watermelon it's just it's just like a great summary beach level man i just i just love it and that was definitely when curbing the forgotten land like picked up like i was like, okay like we're we're in it now you know so <laughs> yeah there there were several kirby areas that one specifically that i that i just basically expected to show up on my list which actually doesn't but yeah there's some very good beach areas in kirby games bt dubs but going into my number three my number three is actually my Pokemon representation here because there are a lot of really cool beaches within the Pokemon games, even going back to Gen 1 with, uh, you know, Fuchsia City and Cinnabar Island. And, uh, I, you know, I really thought I'm a huge fan of Gen 7. I really thought about the Alola region. But then I was like, no, man, I, I got to put Thalia Beach from Pokemon Tournament in here. And mm. then I was like, oh, no. Oh no, there's actually one better. My number three is Maricopia Island from New Pokemon Snap. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah, with Blushing Beach and Maricopia Reef. Uh, It's like, it, man... It's so good. It really is. We waited for new Pokemon Snap for so long. And of all the the areas that I was looking forward to running that Neo one through and taking pictures of, you know, I've, I've said it before a couple times already, but I was really looking forward to whatever beach or water themed levels they were going to have. And there's some really cool, like specifically deep sea underwater levels in the game, but I am not talking about those. I am talking about specifically Maricopia Island and its beach and reef level, which just by itself have a ton of of incredibly cool moments. I mean, if you've played new Pokemon Snap, you know there's constantly stuff going on around you and constantly stuff that you can trigger with your, uh, you know, illumination spheres and apples and playing the poke flute and all kinds of stuff. And there's actually a moment toward the beginning of Blushing Beach where uh, you, you actually get stopped if you don't move the executor out of the way. You actually get stopped <laughs> and are stuck. On, my, on Blushing Beach until you move the executor out of the way. Uh, so that's a you know pretty unique moment within that game alone. 
but then you've got the Raichus and you know the Palisands and the Machamp that's running around. You've got uh, this Squirtle, I think, uh, Squirtle or something that's riding on top of a Blastoise that you know is trying to save it. And you've got these Pukumu. There's just so much going on. And as you continue to level up, as you continue to explore the area more and more, you get to do the nighttime, just nighttime on the beach. That like that's just taking it to another level. It really is. Beaches alone are cool, but nighttime on a beach with a nice serene soundtrack underneath everything. Like serene really is the best word at that point. I can't think of more settings that would put me more at ease than on a beach at night, just hearing the waves crashing against the shore and getting to enjoy it with my favorite Pokemon. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great pick. I've been wanting actually to go back to new Pokemon Snap. I was thinking yeah. about that recently, man. I would love it's to go really back. Good. Yeah. It's really good. It's a really good game. That was actually, uh, they revealed new Pokemon Snap right before we did episode two of this show. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Good yeah, times. Man. Good. Yeah, new Pokemon Snap is really cool. And those beach areas are are just so great. Still, for my money, the best looking Pokemon game that's ever been. So that certainly helps matters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, going into my number two, this isn't going to surprise anybody. In fact, the only way this might surprise somebody is that it isn't my number one. Um, my number two is Treasure Trove Cove. From Banjo-Kazooie. <laughs> yeah. Not number one, believe it or not. Um, I love Banjo-Kazooie. Treasure Trove Cove is... Oh, man. It's hard. It, it's probably my favorite level in the game. Um, I, I'd have to really think... Depending on the day you ask me. But I do think it, it's certainly... It's one of the best songs in the game. Um, that's mm-hmm. just an iconic, you know, do, 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 I mean, it's just the perfect beach, like xylophone sort of tropical, you know, tune. It's, it's perfect. Um, but it's got so much of that, like seaside beach personality baked into it. It's got everything. It's got sandcastles. It's got a lighthouse. It's got a giant, like hermit crab, you know, Nipper, like, sitting there on the beach ready to mess your stuff up if you get too close to him. Um, it's got a shark, you know, in the water that's antagonizing Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, yes. We it's talked got, about that shark before. It's got the, like, landlocked pirate ship, the salty hippo with Captain Blubber, who's, like, missing his gold. And it's got everything. And then the cherry on top is that is also when you're introduced to the concept of flight. The move is learned in that stage and you get to fly around with Kazooie in this stage. And it's just the most magical, like you're already having such a great time on this fun, beautifully designed beach stage, but then getting to fly through it is just like the cherry on top. It's just a wonderful, wonderful area of that game. So yeah, it that treasure trove cove lives in my head rent free and like, Rather than just stepping on, like, a jiggy piece to, like, go into a painting or whatever, you, like, jump into a treasure chest to go to it. (laughs) It's so great, man. Yeah, that's uh, the second area in the game, I believe. Yeah, it's it's very early. I think you could you could go to a couple, you know, stages after after um, Mumbo's Mountain. But yeah, that's that's could be the second place you go. Yeah. 
is very good game. Is very good game. You should definitely check it out. That is also on the N64 NSO yes, app. It is. If you have the expansion pack, so uh, go ahead and check that out. My number two is admittedly a bit of a cheat, but I honestly just couldn't pick Seth, and it was whichever one I wound up picking was going to be arbitrary. So my number two is just. All of the Mario Kart beach themed courses. Oh, that is that is a cheat. Yeah, that's a cheat. <laughs> it, 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 like I admit that I do. <laughs> but honestly, like, what do I go with? Do I go with the original iconic Koopa Beach from this SNES? Do I go with the Koopa Troopa Beach from the Nintendo sixty four? That's probably the best track in that game. You know, do I go with Cheap Cheap Island? Do I go with Shy Guy Beach from the Game Boy Advance? Do I go with Peach Beach from Double Dash, which was also a fantastic track? Do I go with Koopa Cape? Yeah. Do I go with Koopa Cape? Do I go with any of the remakes? Because they changed up the courses quite a bit as they continue to recycle them for newer and newer games. There's like, there's just so many really cool beach themed courses and they've made some if i absolutely had to pick i'd probably pick koopa troopa beach from the nintendo 64 which i believe was also remade in the in mario kart 7 on the 3ds but i'm always going to have a soft spot for that original and that iconic skip the Mm. iconic skip right in the middle where if you've got the gumption and a mushroom like it, the thing is, like it's right there. It's one of the most obvious skips in Mario Kart history, but it's like it's here if you're good enough and you got the item. It's here. It's just daring you to take it. I love it so much. Yeah, uh, but yeah, there's just there's so many just iconic tracks again. And Koopa Cape, you know, could be a little bit of a on the edge, you know, on the line of whether or not it's a beach themed course. But I mean, there's so many of them that are just overt. I'm also like a huge, huge fan of Cheap Cheap Beach, uh, which I believe started on the DS. Yeah. And they've, I believe, remade that in both Mario Kart 7 and it is in Mario Kart 8. It's one of the best courses, in my opinion, in Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. There's just so many good ones to choose from that I just, I mean, you guys take your pick. You let me know what your favorite Mario Kart Beach-themed course is. I'm putting it in your hands. What should have properly been my number two? I know I've already kind of hedged my bets with with Koopa Troopa Beach from the Nintendo 64, but I will leave it in our wonderful community's capable hands. What should have been my number two? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll weigh in on this quickly okay. before we get into yeah. honorable mentions i because to be honest this probably would have been like my number six i almost had yeah. a mario kart representative on my list and so i thought long and hard about what i thought the best beach themed course was and koopa cape it it's one of my favorite of all time but i don't consider it a beach course it's, yeah it is kind of on the yeah i just don't um peach beach i really like it one yep. one thing that was cool about double dash was the way they really kind of tied it into uh, Mario Sunshine. Sunshine, so exactly. Yeah. I do like that, but ultimately, I do. I think Cheap Cheap Beach has got to be my favorite 
beach themed Mario Kart stage. Like everything about it is just like starting off like on the docks and like, yeah, going into and like it has that lighthouse while you're kind of like drifting along and it's just, that's just a great, and then it almost has like a jungle feel once you get onto the island properly. It's, um, yeah, I, I just, I really love that stage a lot. That would have been my number six, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Cheap, cheap beach. I mean, there's a reason that it's been in both subsequent Mario games since it showed up in Mario Kart DS. It's a great course. Absolutely. is. Completely respect that as your favorite beach course in Mario Kart history, bud. Yeah. Well, um, before we reveal our number ones, do we have some honorable mentions? Oh, let me tell you. Oh man. Uh, again, I, it was really hard for me to choose when it came to, you know, Pokemon, like I said, I already mentioned, but ugh, I mean, okay. I almost put Eventide Island on mine. Uh huh. I, but again, you know, it's more of an Island, not quite a beach thing. So it didn't really fit. Uh, Alba, uh, uh, an indie game that we did an indie showcase on a while mm-hmm. back. Uh, Alba, uh, was it a summer adventure or a wildlife adventure? A wildlife adventure. Yes. Yeah. I did. all like our, our, our good friend Lockliffe completely agree. Animal Crossing has a really cool beach. Completely agree. Animal Crossing is a really cool beach, but yeah, I just, I, I actually expect that was another one I kind of expected to make my list, but it didn't quite do it. something like Tortimer Island or even just the beach area around your Island in new horizons. Uh, Windjammers, man. Yeah. The, just just the core beach theme. I'm surprised that's not on your list. Yeah, that's the that, one I again, was expecting. That, that was another one. I, I replayed that arena. That's the standard arena for Windjammers. It's like, you know, the core stage of mm-hmm. the game. And it's, and it's amazing. It's fantastic. I love it to death. But it, again, it just, it didn't quite make it because ultimately it was just kind of a background for the game. And because it's the core stage, it doesn't really have any cool special gimmicks or anything like that. Uh, Woohoo Island for the Wii Sports uh, games. Yeah. I, you know, there's some cool beach there. But the, I, lastly, I just really want to shout out, uh, God, this is going to be a weird take, but TMNT 3, the Manhattan Project on the NES, the very first stage is a beach theme stage. And... Hey, that game is a lot better than people remember. It's on the TMNT Cowabunga collection. Not saying, you know, it's amazing or that it stands up next to like Shredder's Revenge or something. But for an NES game, it was cool. And it blew my little mind the first time I saw a foot soldier pick sand up off the beach and (laughs) throw it in my eyes to stun me. And NES beat-em-up where a grunt-level enemy used the environment to their advantage. You don't see that in modern beat-em-ups, and they did that on the NES. For that alone, that deserved a shout-out. Yeah. I I thought about a bunch of different stuff, too. Um, I thought about Seaside Kingdom for Mario Odyssey, um, which is, you know, great. That's maybe my favorite boss in the game is that big octopus baron um his name's like mollusk something like long sewer <laughs> and i yeah. just i love that i love that fight i love that character design thought about that um i actually was i very nearly um included the tourist somewhere on my list um yeah and 
I was thinking about what I would have gone with. Would I have gone with the hub, like Leisure Island or whatever? Um, but I actually think I would have gone with, if I had done it, I would have gone with Ibiza Island, which is like that kind of like sunset island where there's that like that DJ like party. Yeah, that's that's probably my favorite island in that game. Um, you know, Gelato Beach from uh, Mario Sunshine. You yeah, know, that's that's one that I thought about. I'm sure um, there's a lot of people surprised that Mario Sunshine didn't make either of our lists. Yeah. The thing is, is like, that's the, that's like an annoying stage in the game. Like it's, it's got the summer vibes, but that's also where the sandbird is and stuff like that. So, <laughs> and the world's largest watermelon. <laughs> the, yeah. That big old watermelon. Yeah. Um, and I also, I thought about Besaide from Final Fantasy X. Yeah. I um, can see that. Which, you know. That is on the switch. It's kind of a technicality thing, but, um, that, that even just, I mean, it's one of my favorite pieces of video game music, um, of all time. And then quick shout out to summers from earthbound, um, the sort of beachside town, uh, tourist trap kind of Americana town that you go to in, uh, in earthbound. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton. There's, you get the destiny islands from kingdom hearts. And speaking of RPGs, I could have done the left theory and archipelago from Xenoblade two. Uh, I honestly, I really considered onion ocean from Kirby's return to dreamland, especially mm. when they give you the sand power up from return to dreamland deluxe. And yeah. you can literally build sand castles with Kirby's power on the beach. Oh, I love that. But uh, like, yeah, turns out there's a lot of really cool beach levels out there. Everyone. There's a lot of lot of good ones, and to get into my number one, this is kind of a weird one for me. Typically, when I go into a list like this, I don't like to give my number one spot to like a third party sort of thing. I I typically don't like my number one spot to be something that like has a switch port, and so technically it counts. But I love this level so much that it completely outshone whatever distaste I had for doing that. My number one is a level from Bioshock infinite called battleship <laughs> Bay. Um, there's a moment We're going in, from going from wave race and Kirby and Mario Kart to Bioshock infinite. I love it. There's a moment in Bioshock infinite where, um, it's, it's after a fairly significant, probably the end of the game's like first act where you rescue Elizabeth and the game kind of starts to really kick off into high gear and you sort of crash land into this area of Columbia that is this massive beach. And the game does this a couple of times throughout its, its runtime. And what, I mean, I personally really like Bioshock infinite. I know a mm -hmm. lot of people have mixed opinions on it. Um, but you crash land on that beach and it represents a really cool moment for Elizabeth who her entire life has been in captivity and is finally free for the first time and is getting to basically take in this world with fresh eyes like a child. And it's really like heartwarming and peaceful and great. And you sort of get to live vicariously through her joy and her sense of wonder. Um, but also the way that the citizens of Columbia 
are at that moment not engaged with any of the weird politics of the town. They're just kind of chilling. They're hanging out on the beach. They're in those old timey, like striped, you know, swimsuits. They're playing volleyball. They're, you know, they're sunbathing. They're, you know, doing little workouts on the beach and stuff. They're eating cotton candy. And I mean, you can practically smell like the popcorn and cotton candy and, you know, all of that stuff. And then the music, anybody who's played Bioshock Infinite knows how big a role music plays in that game. It's one of the first instances of the music sort of tipping you off to something being a little bit strange. Because if you listen closely, it's playing like this kind of beachy, you know, old school 1950s like um, organ music that is sort of blaring over the horns on, um, on, on the stage. And it's girls don't, uh, girls just want to have fun is playing. And, um, it's, it's really interesting. And it kind of like gives it this moment of like wonderment and like just perfect summer beach vibes, but also a little twinge of like something is off here. And um, it's one of the most memorable moments of that game for me. And it's it just it lives in my head rent free. I, I love it. <laughs> you, you got a lot of tenets in there, buddy. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> it's a memorable. No, game. Yeah. Yeah. Bioshock Infinite's incredible. Both Bioshocks are on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, All following three of like them. A, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All three of them. Yeah. Bioshock, Bioshock 2, Bioshock uh, Infinite's. Uh, when 2K did that huge like game dump a couple of years back and they put those in XCOM and a couple other things on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, yeah, yeah, Bioshock Collection. Go ahead and check it out. Turns out those are still good games even over a decade later. Jeez, what? Bioshock, the first one was like, what, 06? 07, up? yeah. 07, okay. Yeah, 2007. Although Bioshock Infinite is 10 years old. That game came out in 2013, <laughs> so... Yeah. Well, I guess I shouldn't really be saying anything because mine came out the exact same year. Okay. Uh, this is not just my favorite beach level in Nintendo history. This is one of my favorite levels full stop in any video game I've ever played. My number one is the Beach Bowl Galaxy from Super Mario Galaxy. It's it's it it's perfect. I love it. It it just is. You go to uh, this floating, suspended beach bowl in space as you're flying toward, as you're soaring in for the first time. You see the water just dripping over the sides of the bowl. Like there's not even any glass or anything there. It's just suspended in space. And there's just something about that, like this entire galaxy, this entire little micro planet is just self-sustaining with its own galaxy. And I don't know, just something about that aesthetic that's always been so incredibly cool to me. It's just this perfect microcosm terrarium of everything that you would want from a beach area you've got like your you've got your uh boardwalk going across these little micro islands you've got all these adorable little penguins running around with their swimming lessons you've got i mean you can very easily swim underwater there's a ton of stuff to do underwater there's an underwater cave to find there's a hillside uh against the back end there's a really cool like thwomp uh platformer section 
uh, or not a thwop, but I can't remember the name of the enemies that like roll around. Uh, they showed up in Super Mario 64 and, oh man, but uh, uh, like there's just so, so much on it. It is like if, if somebody asked me to show them what a beach looks like when rendered in a video game, it is the level that I would show them. It it fits so much beach vibe into such a little space. And again, it's from my favorite game of all time, which means it plays beautifully, which means it's got just an immaculate song behind it with the xylophone, with the, uh, the, the metal drum that just immediately puts you in that summer mood that just makes me want to go out and jump into a pool or makes me, you know what, just drive to the ocean and just jump in the ocean. Why not? Uh, the beach ball galaxy is like, just like I do with wave race. Sometimes I'll boot up the super Mario 3d all-stars game, just jump into galaxy and go run around the beach ball galaxy for a few minutes. I'm like, I'm not even kidding about that. I'm not just saying that for the sake of trying to put it over for this entry. Like I actually do that. It's one of my favorite levels in video game history. It's immaculate that the, the, the freeze flame galaxy from that. And there's a couple others that are just like practically perfect pieces of level design. I don't know if it's the first time in the game where you get the ice flower in Mario galaxy, but also a little bonus piece of awesomeness you get to wall jump up waterfalls in that area that's just amazing it's pretty cool (laughs) that's just amazing sure you can race up waterfalls in mario kart 8 deluxe and shy guy falls but you're literally wall jumping off of multiple waterfalls to get up to the star and it's just so good it really is like Beach Ball Galaxy, I can't really say anything more than that. It's just, again, a perfect piece of video game design. Immediately puts me in the summer vibe. Has a fantastic soundtrack and gave me multiple memorable memories that I still hold on to to this day. It is my number one with a bullet. Nice. Very good. Well, we should go over our list one more time. Yes. Uh, starting with you, you started us off. Go ahead. Yeah. My number five was Serene Shores from Pikmin four. My number five was Wave Race 64, the sunny beach and dolphin park. My number four was Restview beach from even the ocean. My number four was Lunistus stage two beach summer. My number three was abandoned beach from Kirby and the forgotten land. My number three was new Pokemon snap Maricopia Island. My number two was Treasure Trove Cove from Banjo-Kazooie. My number two was just like all the Mario Kart Beats tracks, just all of them. But I'm waiting to hear what you guys think should have been my number two. (laughs) My number one was Battleship Bay from Bioshock Infinite. And mine was, of course, the Beach Ball Galaxy from the amazing Immaculate Super Mario galaxy and we would love to hear what your favorite beach levels have been throughout nintendo history there's some notable ones that we honestly didn't even have time 
to talk about in this, like Link's Awakening. There's a really like just so many cool beach themed areas. Let us know what your favorites are. Reach out to us on Facebook. Reach out to us on Twitter slash X. Join the community over in Discord. Let us know if you're going to the beach this summer. There's still a little bit of summer left. Let us know if you are heading to a sandy seaside. Let us know if you're going to go out there, have some fun, get a snow cone, get some popcorn, have yourself a nice little beach picnic. But honestly, Seth, you know, going to the beach, I have so many fond memories of going to the beach when I was younger. But me being the nerdy young kid that I am, I always tried to sneak up on the boardwalk to go find one specific place. The arcade. Yeah, the arcade. I am... it is funny. You're, you're talking about going to the beach and going outside. And I'm like, it, I live in Louisiana, man. It is too hot for that. I would much rather True be story. inside a nice, cool arcade with some like burnt nachos and bad pizza. Um, yes. Playing all of my favorites, <laughs> yes. uh, playing all my favorite arcade games. And um, a game that I've wanted to cover on the show for quite some time now just felt like the perfect thing to bring to this episode. So I'm very happy to say that our indie showcase this week is Arcade Paradise. All right, Seth, Arcade Paradise from Nosebleed Games. Uh, this is not an arcade that I have visited yet. So, uh, sir, could you show me around? (laughs) Yeah, I fell in love with this game last year. Uh, I, I absolutely fell in love with it. I have been wanting to cover it on the show for a while. And even though like it, it isn't like explicitly a summer game, like it's not, the, the arcade is not like on the beach or whatever. Um, you know. It definitely has like that sort of like neon arcade beach boardwalk yeah. vibes, right? Yeah. I mean, like it's got like the uh, like the 80s neon, like it just it feels like there's a palm tree in the logo. Mm-hmm. Like there isn't, but it just it feels like there is. There is on the box art. There's a there, there is, yeah, on, the there is on the box art for sure. And you know, this game also I credited this and Cult of the Lamb to uh last year I sort of fell in love with management sims, or at least accepted that I liked this genre, which is not a genre that I ever thought that I enjoyed, but playing this, I was like, oh yeah, like I am really into this. Um, effectively, yeah, this is a management sim. This is a business uh, business management sim. You play this character, Ashley. Uh, I don't think they ever gender Ashley. I think that like, because it's it's sort of a gender, you know, I've, I've known dudes named Ashley. Oh, yes. You know. Oh, yes. I think I've known more dudes than. Same, actually, I think. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things where like, it's a gender neutral name. So I think you can sort of, you know put yourself in that role, despite the fact that it is a named character who has got a father. Um, your father owns this laundromat called King wash and, um, your father has effectively given you like ownership of this, um, of this laundromat to sort of find your place. Like you're, you're sort of 
down and out, listless, not sure what you're doing with yourself, you know, kind of like that college dropout sort of vibe. Well, you should you should get to work. You should, you know, sort of reorient yourself and, and figure it out. Your dad's kind of like, you know, lording over you and stuff like this. And um, just trying to trying to like help and, and do what's best for you, but also a little bit of a jerk like dads can be. You know, um, in that very fatherly way. The dad, by the way, voiced by Doug Cockle, Geralt of Rivia. So um, that, that's pretty funny also. Um, I dig that. <laughs> so you begin with this laundromat and you have to sort of start by just, yeah, changing the trash uh, picking the gum, you know, off of the, uh, the lockers and stuff. Like at the end of the day, you have to like in the bathroom, like unclog the, you know, the toilet and stuff like that. Um, and do this like kind of menial stuff from day to day to scrap up enough money. Um, but eventually, uh, in the back room, there are a couple of old busted up arcade cabinets and you fix them up and business starts to come in and people start engaging with the arcade cabinets and slowly but surely you start saving up enough money to add more arcade cabinets and you sort of end up creating this secret arcade in the back of the laundromat that grows and expands and it ends up becoming a story of sort of like finding your place where at first Ashley is this kind of listless, you know, young adult not sure what they want to do with their life but by the end of it, they find their passion and they work hard and they, from their bootstraps, create an arcade paradise in the back of this laundromat. And that sort of very quickly becomes the main business um, is, is the actual arcade. You end up getting, like any good management sim, you know, you, you earn your money, but what are you spending your money on? Well, you're spending it on getting upgrades to make everything else easier. That's like a tried and true thing of management sims. Like you have to have that feedback loop, right? It has to have that sort of like, what, what am I working towards? There's always a goal with a management sim. Um, in arcade paradise, it starts off small at first. It's like, Hey, uh, your garbage bags are bigger. So you, the garbage you pick up, you don't have to go to the dumpster as much. So, so that kind of like reduces the amount of time you have to walk outside and throw the trash out. Um, then it becomes like you get sneakers, which makes your movement speed faster. Eventually you get like total logic breaking stuff. Like one of them is just <laughs> called the beginner's guide to space and time, which is just like a book that you can buy that just doubles the amount of time you have in a day. Which, you know, is obviously beneficial because the more time you have, uh, the more time you have to work and make money. Right? Oh, so, man. You, hands up. <laughs> hands up, everybody out who wouldn't immediately buy that book if they could in real life. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, there's like little stuff like you can hire an assistant who can do things like because, uh, you know, another thing you have to do, it's very realistic. You have to go to all of your machines and empty the hoppers, get all the money out of the hoppers. Otherwise, it'll fill up and, you know, you have to manage all this stuff. Um, and you can hire an assistant to change the hoppers for you and, and all this. So there, there's a lot of like little spinning plates all the time. And in the beginning of the game, 
you're finding yourself having to manage like, okay, I want to do laundry because that is sort of like at the beginning of the game, at least the main way you're making money. Um, and you want to do it well. Like if you just let the laundry sit there, if you're not like on time to change it, you know, if you're not on time to like deliver it to the customer, you'll get a lower ranking and you'll make less money. So you have to be fairly attentive. Um, the game will alert you um, on your little like watch. It'll like kind of ping you whenever it's time to, you know, change the laundry or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um so you have to manage all of that stuff, but very quickly you start to realize, and this is actually kind of beautiful the way the game does this, you'll make a lot more money just focusing on the arcade. You'll make a lot more money spending your time there because a crucial, crucial thing that this game does, it's not enough to just like have these different systems in place for you to have this sort of dual like laundries up front, arcades in back, and I'm bouncing back and forth between the two. The arcades, the interest that your customers will take in the arcade machines increases the more time you spend playing them. So the game encourages you to actually go in and play the arcade cabinets. Your your arcade cabinets will perform better the more time you spend playing them, the better you do at them. So that is a really brilliant little piece of like the the game is essentially forcing you to like fall into the narrative that the character is of like forget the laundry this is an arcade business <laughs> you know well i did um, have a couple questions specifically about like some of the management things that you do because you're like you said ping-ponging between a bunch of different stuff uh like in terms of the interface and the intuitiveness of doing the more menial task, because like the developers had to understand people don't want to turn on a video game to plunge toilets. They don't want to turn on a video game to throw trash away. So I remember you saying that they've actually turned that into like a mini game, right? Yeah. Yeah. It'll be like a little mini game whenever you, um, whenever, for example, when you go to pull gum off of like the side of a washer or whatever, um, there'll be like a meter that you have to like time and tug like correctly. And it kind of looks like a pixelated, like sort of, um, it kind of has like a Scott Pilgrim kind of vibe. Okay. You know, there'll be like a little voiceover, like awesome, you know, whenever you pull it <laughs> off and stuff. Um, Gummed. <laughs> yeah. Plunging the toilet, same way, you know. Um, throwing the, even like something as simple as throwing the trash in the dumpster, you know, has a little bit of like a, like there'll be a target that, that pops up that you have to like try to hit. And, you know, it, it almost feels like when you're working one of those dead end jobs and you're kind of like creating, trying to somehow make it more fun. The filter (laughs) of this person desperately trying to make their menial job more entertaining for themselves. Totally. Totally. (laughs) Like it, like when you really just hate your menial job and you sort of like find yourself drifting away and trying desperately to make it more enjoyable. Um, Cause I know like just, I, I want to play this game. I really do. But one of my first thoughts is, you know, there's so many simulators out there that on the surface just do not sound like enjoyable experiences. Honestly, Power Wash Simulator immediately comes to mind. That game should have died on paper, but it's amazing. But you got like Farming Simulator and Truck Driver Simulator and all these types of games that, you know, just on paper seem like very menial and even monotonous style experiences. So it like I heard about, it's like, oh yeah, you take out the trash and you scrape gum. I'm like, like that's taken the monotony of these, of these simulator games to the, to the extreme. 
but it, it was nice to hear that they understood the assignment in that regard and they've actually like kind of turned it around in a more entertaining and interesting way. Yeah. Well, and like it, it honestly, like, yeah, on paper, it does kind of remind me of power wash. Like on paper, it should suck. Like that sounds terrible, but they, they made it somehow like fun to engage with, like even the laundry part, like, even though it does, like you very quickly are sort of encouraged to prioritize the arcade. Mm -hmm. Um, but even the laundry portion, I think, is really fun. Like, I have a lot of fun. Like, you you, you kind of create this cadence where you start a day. Okay, immediately I'm looking for the Every day I know there's going to be three pieces of gum. You know, I need to find them. Where are they today? Stupid you know, kids. I'm, yeah, like I'm going around <laughs> collecting, like, pizza boxes and soda bottles and old newspapers. I'm cleaning up my place. You know, and like you kind of do your rounds, then you get the laundry started. By the time you've done that, you know, by the time the first cycle is going, now the toilet's clogged. Let me unclog that real quick. Okay, now I've got a couple minutes to go in and play some racer chaser or whatever. <laughs> and um, like I like that. And then like next thing you know, you've got a beep on the watch. Laundry's done. So like they've they've created this sort of loop where like there's always something to do. Yeah. There's no idle time. Yeah. You know, and I think that's like really key to uh, to this experience. In addition to that, um, not only are you encouraged to uh, to play the games, to spend just like time with the games to make your customers more interested in them, they've baked in like little challenges and things like not only daily challenges, but sort of like more um, at like permanent challenges that will, uh, that will also increase the amount of money your cabinets make. Um, you will have characters like NPCs that'll pop up and challenge your high scores, you know, like little stuff like that, where you, you know, you have to be like a good and engaging arcade manager, and you have to sort of like create that persona for yourself. Like, oh, the manager's got the high score on this one, you know, sort of vibe. Um, and uh, yeah, that that all I think works really well. But regardless of how like the management stuff is handled, I don't think the game would work if the actual arcade games weren't good and fun. So, yeah, um, I think at the end of the day, that's what it's going to come down to for a lot of people, because yes. the big draw I feel like for arcade paradise is like this plethora of unique and original arcade style titles that the entire experience kind of revolves around almost as if it is uh, almost as if the management's in portion is just kind of window dressing for being a classic arcade game collection. Kind of, but like they're all original arcade games. Like they, they have created a couple of dozen, um, arcade games for this and they're not all like absolute bangers but like out of like everything in this game there are a really solid handful of like man i wish this was a real arcade game a couple of my favorites i mentioned racer chaser which is this very unique mix of like pac-man meets grand theft auto <laughs> like where <laughs> you're like you're on a map um, and collecting money as if they're pellets, you know, on Pac-Man, but it's in like a stolen car and you can get out of the car. You're running away from the cops. You can get out of the car and like shoot the cops that are chasing you and stuff. And like, That's it's, like it's like, yeah, it's like Pac-Man meets Grand Theft Auto. And it's a really neat, 
uh, little game. And, like, the the way the stages, like, change, you know, as you keep going, like, it's neat. Um, there's a couple, like, there's one um, called Wood Gal's Adventure, which is a Toe Jam and Earl-esque, like, wow, okay. like sort of kind of, like, top-down, like, find-the-pieces-on-the-overworld sort of thing. We don't see nearly uh, enough of... Toe Jam and Earl likes. <laughs> yeah, but then you'll find enemies, like, in the overworld as you're kind of doing this Toe Jam and Earl-esque thing, um, and when you engage with the enemies, the combat is, like, this match-three, you know, like, bejeweled kind of thing. And it's really cool, and interesting and what's funny is as the game progresses and you have more access to more arcade cabinets because again you will end up improving your arcade to where like you will knock down the walls you'll create this like massive arcade that is like beautiful pristine neon lights and a jukebox and music and you know you end up creating this beautiful arcade and you end up getting like a ton of like different there, there's like a little bit of a story even to the arcade cabinets because wood gal's adventure might be the base game but eventually you get wood gal jr you know you get wood guy golf <laughs> you know wood guy jr um you end up getting a lot of like kind of other like spin-offs even i've always wanted to games. play wood guy golf yeah you gotta <laughs> you gotta play the, the wood guy golf and it's you know that that one is a lot like uh you know, NES golf, of course, effectively, yeah. you know, but I mean, it's also got your, your standards. You've got your air hockey in there. You've got your DDR sort of clone. Yeah, exactly. Like I was looking at because some of the arcade machines, like, yeah, it's not just your standard, you know, old school eighties, uh, yeah. you know, normal fair. Like, yeah, you've got some of these, clay. you've got some Japanese style arcade machines. You look like you have like a track and field. There's a light gun set up with actual light guns. You've got the DDR one that you were talking about. There's, you know, plenty of more standard, more classic style arcade cabinets, but it, yeah, it looks like there's a a nice amount of variety here. Yeah, you've got like you've got a pool table eventually that you can put in there. Um, you know, whack a mole you can eventually get in there. Effectively, it's called Thumpa Gopher in the game, <laughs> but it's whack a mole. Um, you know, it's. It's really cool. Darts, you you can you can get in there. Um, and you can play all those. Like, you can play pool. You can play darts. Yeah. And yeah, you can play all that stuff. Um, there's a really cool. There's this one called uh, Zombat Two, which is a like randomly generated zombie twin stick shooter, uh, which is really neat. It's like a, like there's some really good fun original games in here that like again just them on their own would be sort of like worth the price of admission. They've also had a ton of DLC. Like they're still yeah. supporting the game yeah. with paid DLC. Uh, yeah, I see uh, Cyberdance Euromix, <laughs> a game called ROGR, oh Penguin Push, Empathy, Summer of Sports, Smoke'em, but easily, easily the most interesting DLC addition to Arcade Paradise thus far is Kung Fury. Yeah. The Kung Fury, yeah, Kung Fury game is in there. That's amazing. You just buy it and that, just have it. <laughs> that honestly, that alone makes me want to own it because, like Kung Fury, they that sold uh, that sold separately as its own standalone title on the eShop, but you can get it as a playable arcade cabinet here in Arcade Paradise. That just 
and it fits perfectly with the 80s motif if you've ever seen kung fury it just it fits perfectly into into this environment yeah no it's it's great man like the and i i just i i love like the the sort of like tonality and like the the way that these games kind of connect you'll see like there's a game for example called barkanoid which is what you think it is it's arkanoid but with like a cool yeah. like like wiener dog as the <laughs> as the paddle effectively um that dog like canonically belongs to Wood Guy, I think, and like the Barkanoid dog appears. Lore. Yeah, there's like lore and like connective tissue between the games, weirdly, and you know that kind of. I just love that kind of stupid stuff, man. And you know, again, it tells this sort of like if you're somebody who's ever felt like you're like listless, unsure of what you're doing with yourself and your career, wanting to pursue something and feeling like you want to actually be passionate about what you're doing. Like the game's got something to say about that, that, that I think is really kind of, kind of strong. And, um, and I think by the end of it, like I was kind of left with, I was kind of impressed by like the little bit of story that you get, you know, um, with the game. So it's just, it's great. how is the narrative like presented? Is it, is it much more in the background or is there actual like, like a plot? Like do things happen that like push the whole narrative forward or is it just kind of something where as the main character, you say, you know, you just kind of comment on things as the arcade continues to grow. And as you continue to expand your business, the main character never like vocally speaks um okay. but silent protagonist cool yeah but but you will talk to like for example i think it's your sister maybe it's your brother um uh that you talk to like over the computer like in the manager's office like you'll you'll im back and forth with them kind of like ah oh, dad's saying this and that or whatever your dad leaves you voicemails like you'll hear like phone conversations with your dad as you go to start up new days and stuff and that's kind of how yeah, so he can go off and hunt beasts and everything <laughs> yeah and that, like that, witchers do like witchers do that's that's sort of how like the the plot is presented though like with these little sort of moments like that you'll see like emails and stuff come in and that's kind of how how a lot of it is uh is presented but it's is it like a day night cycle yeah so you you're on a timer um when you start you you can only stay you know until like nine or ten or something but yeah because I, I do remember you saying earlier on you know you can buy the the magic book that gives you extra time, time in the day so yeah, yeah so but it's just, you know, a simple thing of, you know, going through each day, going through kind of a, a management cycle effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have a limited amount of time to do what you need to do. Um, and eventually you do have to, like, close up shop, go onto the bus stop and go home and then start a new day. Oh, they actually manually make you go to the yeah. bus stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, wow. you begin and end your day at the bus stop. That's how it always happens. And then like, if you order an arcade cabinet, it'll arrive the next day. When you start up your new day, you'll get off the bus. And then like, there's a funny cutscene where a delivery truck just sort of like very bombastically, like basically airdrops, like the arcade <laughs> cabinet in the middle of the road. Um, that's awesome yeah and yeah you can like you can pick where the arcade cabinets go like the placement in the arcade you can customize all of that and um, i assume you can move them yeah you can move them around and actually it's important you do that because something that you have to sort of 
uh, reckon with actually is like, if there is a game that is not very popular, if you move it next to more popular games, you can actually increase its popularity because that'll be the game that people sort of like play while they're waiting for the popular one to be freed up, you know? So, so it actually, it actually has that much consideration in it. Yeah. Like you can actually look at a meter that shows how much popular you can even go in and customize like the difficulty of it. Like if you, and you can see how this is affecting the cash flow in real time. If you make something like challenging, but not too challenging, then you might get more money. Um, for example, like if you know if you're if you're noticing that your DDR machine isn't making as much money as you would like, maybe go mm-hmm. in and make it harder or easier. Depending, you can actually see in real time which like what your customers will respond better to, um, which is cool. Like that that little stuff is really cool and fun to engage with, and I like that you have to think about that. You have to really kind of be an arcade owner. It's cool. Well, I mean, for me. Well, when I think of arcade classics and games that I think this game should emulate or make a version of, uh, there's one genre that I certainly uh, uh, would like to see. And I've, I've got to ask, are there any decent maybe Mortal Kombat clones or Street Fighter clones in here? I don't think there's any. I don't remember any like straight up like fighting games like zero that. out of ten. Well, because it's weird because like you would have to play against like, um, you know, computers basically. Yeah. There might be, if there is one, I don't remember it. Um, there, there might be like one, but I don't, I don't necessarily remember if there is one or not. (laughs) But there's so many games in the game you can't remember off the top of your head. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's gotta be, I mean, there's gotta be like 36 games in here or something like that. There's a lot of games. I didn't realize it was that many. Good Lord. Yeah. There's a lot. That's a lot more than I was expecting. So like three dozen unique arcade experiences all packed into this management sim. Yeah. I I don't know the exact number, but it's, it is something like that. Yeah. It's a lot. Um, it's, it's, it's fairly deep and, and well considered and you're unlocking these at a steady clip like throughout the entire course of the game. So yeah, it's, it's cool, man. Like it's, it's neat. I, I really, again, didn't think that this would be the kind of thing that was for me. Honestly, I wouldn't have, I probably would not have played it if it weren't for the backtrackers and the carpool gaming community. This was picked for the backtrackers and I played it and I was like really impressed. Also shout outs to the switch port of this game. It runs great on switch and it looks great. Like it, yeah, it looks pretty good. It's the 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 normal. It looks pretty photorealistic for like the base gameplay. Yeah, would that be fair? Yeah, no, it looks great. Like I I think that I was really impressed. Like that is not how I thought it would be. Like you, it's the kind of game where you look at it and you could completely you know understand if it like didn't run well. But no, it it runs great. I just I've got no like outstanding complaints with the game. I just, I I think that it completely understands the assignment does everything it set out to do. And honestly, like tells a little bit of a story that you might not expect as well. Also quick shout out to the soundtrack. Um, you do get a jukebox and the soundtrack in the game has there, there is some original music in there that is really good. It's like that kind of, you know, vapor wave, you know, yeah, I'm expecting some synth. I'm yeah. expecting some saxophone. You know, it's the 80s. Yeah, there's there's plenty of that. There's also some good like 
licensed music from like smaller artists. This is an independent game after all. They don't have, you of know, course. you know, Flock of Seagulls <laughs> is not they, in the game, the, you know. They don't have Hall and Oates money. Yeah, no, but but they do have like some it, it feels very appropriate and I enjoyed like I, I enjoyed actually just sort of like perusing through the jukebox and, you know, kind of truly discovering like some new music that way. And um, I, I, you know, got a couple of favorites and it got to the point where like I would start up my day and the first thing I would do is hit the jukebox and play, you know, one of the songs that I like. And so, yeah, <laughs> it's it's great, man. I could just imagine you walking around like throwing out trash and, yeah. you know, scraping up gongs like she's a maniac, maniac. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's um the the vibes are are really good and like you really do feel that sense of satisfaction from like putting that especially by the end of it. I mean like the arcade that you wind up putting together like by the end like when when you get to the end of the game and you like have all of these upgrades it's really beautiful. Like that you make a really impressive arcade. Would you call it maybe would you maybe you know refer to it as an arcade paradise i would in fact that is spoilers i guess that is the name of the arcade once you make it it is arcade paradise so you get this big old nice big old arcade paradise sign and yeah no it's it's awesome <laughs> like big black light rugs and neon yes you know running along the walls and <laughs> you get to make like a dream arcade basically like yeah it's got it's oh. got all that stuff so i just i i highly recommend it like if anything that i've said sounds good to you uh play it i i, I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed the game it's one of those like there's a physical version jason actually in the discord picked up the physical yeah, it was so funny jason posted yeah that <laughs> he posted that picture he's like i i'm on vacation i picked up pikmin for an arcade paradise i was like wow you have the wow, all in 165 special that's literally this episode so <laughs> shout outs to jason that was uh that was pretty good but yeah but uh there's uh there's pinball in the in the game too so uh that that makes me happy it's good um yeah, it's well the game itself Arcade Paradise is just 19.99 on the eShop. I mean again honestly, we're talking about 3 dozen games in the base game. That's I mean what like 60 cents a game even if you're just basing it off of the arcade games, even if you're just basing the price off of that. But um the uh the base game is 19.99. I just looked it up. 35. Yeah. 35. Yeah. That is nuts. Uh, the base game is $19.99. They do also have what they call the high score edition available on the Nintendo Switch eShop that comes with the base game and eight DLC arcade cabinets. And that includes the Kung Fury, that includes like a new DDR machine, that includes a new pinball table and several others. So uh, $19.99 for the base game, uh, $29.99 for the bundle, the full game, plus the eight DLC tables if you're interested in... Well, we've talked about this a little bit here and there, but God, man, I I really feel like I need to play it now. It's oh, you should. Man. It's great. I I, I love know. it. I love it. And it's also, I'll say too, um, you know, you you do have plenty of reason to like. You can play it as long as you want, technically. Um, but if you are steady with the upgrades, like I think when by the time I got to the end of the game, I think it took me like twelve hours roundabout. Um, so it's not like overly demanding, but it's the kind of game that you just kind of want to live on your switch. Like you just kind of want to boot it up, 
spend the day in your arcade and just kind of escape for a little while, you know? Very nice. Well, uh, I guess I know what I'm doing this next week as well. Uh, but let us know if you guys have checked out Arcade Paradise. Let us know if you guys plan on picking it up anytime in the near future. Reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter. Join the conversation over in Discord again. Uh, Jason just got it. Seth, I'm sure, would be happy to talk to you about it more. So let's talk some Arcade Paradise over in the Discord. However, uh, we do have one more point of order here on our summer vacation episode seth and uh you know we've gone to the beach we've gone to the arcade uh but that's not enough seth there is one last uh destination vacation spot that we need to hit and that is of course pnf 404 yes it's been a long time coming but uh pikmin 4 of course did release uh just a couple of weeks ago on the nintendo switch certainly one of the you know, biggest games of the year. And uh, Eric and I have played a ton of it. And we're here to report back with our full findings from PNF 404, our research uh, here in All Ends full review of Pikmin 4. So Pikmin 4 came out, of course, late last month, and we've played a whole bunch of it between the two of us. We are finally ready to sort of give our full thoughts on the game. But before we do, we have to detail the all-in review ritual for everybody uh, listening. If this is your first time tuning into an all-in review, here's how it goes. Uh, we don't give numbered scores, first of all. Sorry, Metacritic slash Open Critic. Um, Although... For, you know, official record, it is a zero out of 10 open critic. Yeah, I wish. I wish that were the case. <laughs> yeah, um, I really do too. <laughs> so we don't give numbered scores. We just, um, we're just going to break it down for you, give you our 100% honest thoughts and opinions on Pikmin 4, and um, we're going to let you decide from there. Um, that's that's kind of what we're about. We think the video games are too complicated to boil down to, uh, to a number. Um, and in addition to that, we like to structure our reviews to break down the story, the presentation, the music, and the gameplay to sort of keep things clean and con concise for us to discuss it and for you to listen to it. So that's sort of how we do things here. Yes, indeed. And, you know, we're going to take, take a nice chill summer vibe approach because honestly, uh, you, not a lot of people like directly associate Pikmin with summer, but like there's like the game is definitely a vibe, Seth. The game is definitely a vibe. And I think it slots right in to summer. I think this time of year was a perfect time to release it. And even though, you know, of course we made the zero out of 10 joke a couple seconds ago, just because of our rivalry slash draft battle against the Nintendo pals, I think you'll find that our actual opinions are slightly different than that. But I mean, I think we're ready to jump into it. My friend, what do you say? Let's do it. Um, first segment that we hit on our reviews is the story. Um, and Pikmin is in an interesting place. Um, you know, these are not known to be like super story heavy games necessarily. Um, and the events of Pikmin 4 are pretty straightforward. Um, and if you've played the demo, you've seen this effectively. Uh, Olimar crash lands 
a rescue team <laughs> is sent out to search for him. That team crash lands and <laughs> essentially... The, the Pikmin universe has the single worst spaceship mechanics and engineers in the history of science fiction. Yeah, pretty much. Um, everybody's just crash landing all over the place. And effectively, um, your rescue core needs rescuing. So your player created character uh, is set upon to explore the various... Um, you know, the, the various, uh, was it PNF 404, the, the planet? PNF 404, yes. Yeah. Uh, a, a strictly alien planet with no even clue of what civilization might possibly lurk among the underdwellings of this planet. Clearly, clearly a truly bizarre and otherworldly place. Couldn't possibly imagine what kind of grotesque monsters traverse such a world as PNF 404. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, if you've seen anything about the game, you kind of know, like it's basically Earth, you know, or, or some sort of facsimile of Earth or whatever. And we're like these tiny little people, you know, in, in the, you know, in the big world or whatever, sort of just like secret world of Arietti kind of vibes. Like, we're, yeah, you know, like the borrowers. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so that's basically it. That's basically the, you know, I will say, like, the game goes a little bit, you know, further than you might think. Um, but, like, the story structure of it is pretty simple. It really is just that. It's really a structure. It's more about, you know, kind of setting up what you're going to be doing versus, like, getting in the way and telling you, like, deep lore or whatever. Yeah, uh, I will say this is actually... I think my biggest hiccup with the game personally, not to say that it's a bad narrative, because of course, when we come into first party Nintendo games, especially, you know, like Mario titles, Donkey Kong, stuff like that, we're not necessarily expecting Final Fantasy levels of lore and uh, plot going on here. But structurally, this game, and I've already talked to you about this, Seth, it, it, there's just a really awkward feeling to like the second and third acts mm -hmm. after the credits roll. It just felt like a really weird place to put the credits for me. And even going beyond the credits, I, I, I was deep into what's considered the post game of this title before I felt I was even actually approaching the end of what I felt was the main story. So it's just there getting to the end of the narrative and even the post game just structurally just felt off. And I think that was mostly to give younger and maybe, you know, people looking for a more laid back experience, younger players and people looking for a more laid back experience, uh, a, a nice benchmark to where they could probably feel that they have gotten everything they want out of this game because getting into the, the, the official post-game stuff, things can get a little challenging, but just ultimately, I I dug what they were doing, but just structurally, it felt so weird to me, and it was actually a little off-putting. Yeah, I agree, and I think that what you just said, I think, was their intention. I think they wanted it to be... Uh, I think so, too. Like, I think that's what they were going for, but I don't think they quite hit it. Like, I think in their yeah. mind, they're like, hey, we're cutting it here, and then from here on out, the post game is for the hard stuff. Kind of a Mario Odyssey vibe, 
where like yeah the best like most Mario challenging Odyssey content. or like Super Mario th- yeah Super Mario 3D Land yeah you know s- stuff like that yeah yeah, n- yeah Nintendo has done that in the past but the difference with Pikmin 4 is um in in a lot of the other games that we've just compared it to uh it is typically completely extraneous content that is just for challenge versus like story or whatever I don't think that a single person newcomer or veteran to the Pikmin series would feel satisfied at the initial credits roll. I don't think anybody yeah. on planet Earth is going to feel satisfied. by it. it becomes very clear that the credits roll, and really, rather than it just being like post-game challenges, that's when the game's like third act properly starts. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It. The, the best way I can put it is when the credits rolled, kind of like in a Donkey Kong Country situation, I genuinely thought it was going to be like a fake out. Mm-hmm. I genuinely thought the credits were going to start to roll and then, you know, the characters were going to come back on scene. I was like, well, of course we're not done. We've got this, this, and this. That's obviously still here for us to do. And, you know, they they didn't do that. The credits actually fully rolled. And then they're like, well, you know, we have this, 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 and this. I'm like, yes, I know. I was there. I played the game. Can we get to that now? They're like, yeah, we can get to that now. So when I beat the game, when I beat that, post game content and saw, you know, the screen that actually says the end, that's when I felt satisfied. So taking that, taking when taking that initial credits roll out of the game and taking the 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 core game and the post game narrative as as a cohesive whole in that regard, I really like what Pikmin 4 did. I just really wish they hadn't thrown that really bizarrely placed credits roll right in right toward the end of what was essentially the second act. Yeah. Like it's not good or bad, really. It's just weird. Like it's like, like why'd you do it that way? You know, like it's strange. So yeah, that, that didn't really land for, for me either. And I don't think anybody is going to feel sad. I think, I think most people are going to want to go back in, um, after, after that initial credits roll, the game very much encourages you to do that. I think you would feel like you were missing something if you stopped playing the game at that point. Um, so there's that. I will say too, um, to, to the game's credit, I do like the characters. I do like your like core I do too. rescue core too. members. Yeah. I do like those people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Of course you have, uh, you know, your captain, you've got your communication officer whose name is Colin, which, mm. you know, I appreciate that little play on words there. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I love Dingo who keeps, you know, because the, the rescue core got shipwrecked uh, Dingo had a little bit of a, uh, uh, a, a lapse of judgment mm-hmm. that he basically spends the entire rest of the game wondering if somebody's going to call him out on it, which is hilarious. <laughs> uh, the, the doctor that they have, like the mechanic that they have on board is like proper, like Dr. Crygor type yeah. insane. And I love it. Uh, yeah, I, I really like the, the rescue core, uh, in this game. I written the, this game you know, built up the universe quite a bit in past Pikmin games. We deal with, you know, outside of the Pikmin, which you could term NPCs outside of them. We've only really dealt with a couple other characters that we've directly engaged with, uh, that we weren't trying to kill. But in this game, there's a fairly expansive list of characters that you wind up, uh, that you wind up meeting and interacting with, at least for a Pikmin game, a a much larger list of characters for this game, and which 
ties into the gameplay, yes, but it was also nice to see a little bit of world building, nice to see some more characters get added to the Pikmin lore. It was fun. Yeah, no, I, I, I loved them. Like that that core group, even like when you finally get the actual like pilot of the ship, like that character's great, you know, like yeah. there's there's some really great little characters in here. I like the little castaways even that you can find yeah. and rescue and like they have their own little <laughs> mini stories and stuff. And yep. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like that ab- about the game. I think that, like, Pikmin, and, and I will say, too, and I don't know if this segues us into presentation or not, but um, but I like that you get to make your own character. Like, rather than having to play as Olimar, Brittany, or Charlie, or whoever, I like... I liked that I got to make my own sort of character. And while the character customization is not deep, I did like no. that it was there. It allowed me to feel a little bit more attached to my character. See, I'm I'm glad you feel that way because when it comes to character creation, I I honestly tend to fall more on the side of you know wishing that it was more of a preconceived mm-hmm. character because I'm much more of a fan of video game narrative. I, you you have a little bit of personal lore going into the game. You are the rookie officer of the rescue Corps, which weren't taken along the initial mission that wound up stranding the other members of the Corps because you were this newbie, Uh, but you were a rookie member, but that's kind of the only backstory that you're given. But when it comes to preconceived characters versus character creation, I've always, I completely understand how people love the idea of character creation, completely understand that. But I always kind of wished I had a more fully fleshed out person that I could inhabit the body of essentially. Um, so that, that's just kind of always been the camp. I like, I can't knock the game for having character creation. I've just, I'm glad you're on that side of the camp because I find myself most of the time on the other side of the camp. Yeah. It just depends on the game for me. For, for Exactly. Yeah. yeah for, for Pikmin four, like I, I feel like Pikmin's never really had like well-considered characters, like playing as like Olimar and like any of these characters, like I've never really cared about any of them. So it's like, it's nice to be able to at least have somebody that I can sort of attach myself to my dude just looked like a little angry like ron swanson type of dude with pink hair <laughs> yeah and, i think a um, lot of people did that i, just I will say it, yeah. it, if you decide you want to change something after the fact the game does give you the option to do that as a matter of fact uh you do unlock something through the game yeah that uh i was like oh yeah i'm absolutely 1000 percent doing this right now <laughs> nice uh, uh so i spent the rest of the game doing that but uh uh, but yeah, ultimately, I really like the narrative. It's just, uh, I know it's, I know we seem to fixate on that weirdness, but that's really the biggest talking point when it comes to the narrative. I thought the rest of it was fine. There were actually a couple twists and turns uh, in what was going on. And uh, ultimately, I think it just landed, uh, even though it kind of stuttered there at the end. And I enjoyed the new characters. So overall, a pretty decent job done. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But um, kind of move, moving us into presentation, um, I think this is actually maybe like what one of the the highlights of the game is the way it like looks and runs and like the perspective. A big change with Pikmin Four is not only do you have your own character, 
Um, but the camera perspective is shifted to where now it's much more of like a behind the back, like proper third person game versus the more like isometric view that past Pikmin games have had. Now you really feel like you're in it just from like, even just that little like camera shift made me feel way more immersed in Pikmin four. Yeah. I will say the, the game probably isn't going to win a lot of technical achievements and grab, but it looks really good for the Nintendo Switch. But we are starting to notice, I think, a little bit the gap between stuff like the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. That being said, for the Switch, it still looks very, very good. Um, well, like all the, 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 the food, the, the classic fruit that you get in Pikmin and have to collect and take back to your ship, all of that still looks good enough to eat. And a lot of the, uh, a lot of the locales that you walk around still look good enough and still look like they could have been taken from some alien world that some person might have actually visited. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is good game is, is good game. Yeah. The, I, I think that like the way that the, the creativity with which the world is rendered like the, cause you know, Pikmin has always sort of gone for more photorealism when it comes to the environment. It's like cartoony characters, like stylized characters in a photoreal environment is sort of yeah. Pikmin's MO. And like, yeah, I mean, I, I think that they, they've pulled it off here. Um, you know, it's not like, it doesn't look like you're playing a PS five game or whatever, of course. But, um, I do really like the way that things are sort of like, realized visually here. I like the way that they've taken, um, you know, household implements or like real world implements and made them into proper level design, you know, like, um, there's like this kind of late game area. That's this sort of like backyard barbecue, you know, sort of thing. (laughs) And like the way that all is sort of laid out in terms of its level design is genius. You know, and um, I just, yeah, I that that all really landed for me. I think I, the presentation of it, the way this is all sort of like displayed for you, I think is stronger than it's ever been. Um, my one sort of nitpick about presentation, um, and this maybe ties a little bit into gameplay, but the caves in this game, I think are very samey um, in terms of like their I- structure, their visuals, like they... They kind of they kind of start to blur together a little bit for me in terms of the way they look. Uh, I can see that from just like a right angles perspective, just from a top down layout perspective. I thought they actually did a pretty decent job visually uh, speaking, making the caves feel different. What Seth is kind of referring to is caves have always been in Pikmin, but the way they're presented in Pikmin Four, it's kind of like you have an overworld, and now the caves are treated essentially like individual levels mm-hmm. within this overworld uh um, like shrines basically like dungeons in the in the world map yeah. effectively yeah shrines um and there are they do have their own little biomes i guess might be the right word because you do have like mud style and mechanical style and you'll have you know some with backgrounds where it's just a block house and you actually have a decent variety of backgrounds but just in terms of the layouts and movement around them and through them i can kind of see how you feel like you're doing the same thing in a lot of them because 
admittedly you are mm-hmm. when it comes to, you know, Pikmin, everybody, uh, I, I think most people listening to this podcast are at least at a base level familiar with the core gameplay of Pikmin. And a lot of that is, I mean, you're, you're going to be doing that in these levels. One of the things that has always, I think, kept the pace, kept these games on pace is the, the day night cycle. Yeah. That, you know, you're always, the, the clock is always kind of at the forefront. The clock is not a factor in the levels in uh, the caves. So you can do whatever you want at whatever pace you want. So because of that, some of them do tend to get a little long in the tooth. And I can see how some of them may drag on and you may feel that way. Yeah, it's just like, you know, like, and it's fine. And it's one of those things where like, yeah, when you play Tears of the Kingdom or whatever, and I already made the comparison to like shrines, um, those all look the same too. I think the difference is, is that like in Zelda, you've got, 150 or whatever shrines in Pikmin you've got I don't know probably what 25 to 30 caves or something like that like it's not like a ton like that you know um but but like it so it does get to a point where and and a lot of them are like you'll you'll be spending potentially at least quite a lot of time in them so I think that's a big point of difference for me if these were things where they were plentiful but you were just in and out in like two minutes then I don't think it would have like bothered me as much and it's not like a huge sticking point but if I had something like to say critically about the presentation it would probably be that um, but overall, like, I, I think it looks great. It runs great. Like I never had a single like slowdown or bug or anything like that. Like I had a flawless experience with it. I had one, I take it back. I had two slight issues where, uh, a treasure wasn't, uh, like what you had to do to get that treasure mm. wasn't triggering, whether knocking it off of something or being able to dig it up. I did have one instance of both of those where it just, it wouldn't do that. The Pikmin wouldn't dig it up or uh, your bump wouldn't knock the treasure off its Interesting. thing. So I actually had to go back and go back in and, and re-get them. I thought I was doing it wrong for like a half hour. But it, uh, I finally left it, came back, and did it. So I did experience two slight bugs in that regard, both of which could very easily be patched out and may very well be by the time you're listening to this. But uh, 99% of my experience was flawless. The load times are serviceable. They feel like You start to feel the load times right as they finish, but they're not unbearable. Yeah, they're uh, fine. But that, yeah. but that and the, the two like little things. But honestly... Once you see your player character walk for the first time, just the walking animation, all is forgiven. That, that's that got to be good. one of my favorite walking animations <laughs> in video game history. It is just unbearably adorable. It's like it's like they went out of their way to make it as as just endearingly cute as possible. It's like we have to make it look like a penguin, a toy and a toddler all came together and taught something how to walk. Pretty much. Yeah, it's it's good. It's yeah. Pre- presentation good, I guess, overall is the uh is the takeaway there. Now I will say, um, I'm curious how you came down on the music, because I actually have I've I've kind of gone back and forth with the music a lot with um with Pikmin 4, and it took me like really kind of listening to the soundtrack by itself to appreciate it more because there are a couple of tracks like my, my initial take on this was 
This is a game that has like three good tracks and the rest of them are kind of whatever. Um, but taking them on their own, like just outside you, of the game. Where's the, uh, the, the barbecue world yeah, track? Like the, that's, yeah. that's a good one, right? That's like, what, yeah. I really, really like that one. There's some good ones for sure. I and I will say the um, the kind of main theme that plays in the main menu I think is great. Um, yeah, that's always like like this nice kind of like piano trill kind of like welcomes you in, you know, to the game. I really like that a lot. The um, yeah, the the actually the song that plays during the like credits roll is really good too. Um, so, but, but for the most part, like my initial take on it before I consumed them, like kind of on their own was, eh, like there's a few standouts, but nothing really to write home about. But if you listen to the music on its own, it's really excellent ambient music, like by itself. Like I actually earlier today, I was just cleaning house and I just had the game's OST just playing over my speakers and it's really strong ambient music actually. And it made me appreciate it a lot more. So I recommend, like, if you feel soft on the music, I recommend trying to listen to it by itself. It's pretty good. Well, it could be a situation of ultimately the music and the game just not clicking, just not finding that happy medium together. Yeah. Uh, because honestly, that 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 track that I was just talking about with, you know, the whole barbecue pit thing, uh, that was the first track that i really noticed that i really truly noticed playing the game mm -hmm. the rest of it was very intentionally ambient but like it just it felt like the song should have been labeled oh first area ambiance second area ambiance mm -hmm. um i, I want to say it's the same i mm, I want to say it's the same boss theme from previous Pikmin games. Maybe retooled a little bit. That boss, uh, that theme is still really good. Uh, a lot of the, um, uh, a lot of the more classic tracks, like getting toward the end of the day, and uh, a lot of the, the the kind of classic moments and effects and fanfares that you'd expect from Pikmin. A lot of those do return. Even you know stuff like whistling Pikmin together and. Uh, you know, the That's other day, I do still really like that, but you know, it's hard to to say that's good when that's been a staple of the series since the GameCube. So I can't really credit the fourth game in the franchise with something that's been around for 20 years, but it's still nice that it's there. It helps give the game a sense of identity and it helps give uh, the franchise a sense of cohesion. So with the uh, fairly mid track list that most of the game gets it is still nice to see a lot of the classics show up and there are a few diamonds in the rough yeah the a lot of the um the the big bosses in the game do have their own themes there's uh there's one boss in particular in this game that's like for my money like the best 
sort of like monster like boss of the entire series that we've actually seen it in the trailers it's um many of the bosses you'll fight in this game are found in the caves and there is one yes. that is very like musically based and <laughs> that's like mm. my that's like probably my favorite pikmin boss like in term in that kind of like structure anyway um and and the the song like the theme of that boss is really good so yeah yeah it is mm-hmm. I, I do like that one um and i will say the the final boss theme is is a nice is a nice mix as well uh but yeah i like this you know nintendo music is is consistently pretty great yeah but looking at this game it is hard to say that i do think they could have done a little better yeah i mean it's yeah it's it's always like tricky when you're stacking it up against you know, all these other great scores. I don't think it's quite at the, it doesn't quite reach those heights when you're looking at it compared to, you know, the all time great stuff, but it's still, I think it's good. Yeah. And I think on its own, uh, worth listening to for, for some, for some ambience, if you're looking for that in your life, it's good to throw on. Um, but there's a lot to talk about when it comes to the gameplay, Eric. Yes, there is. And I, God, I love so much of what they've done with Pikmin 4 when it comes to the gameplay. Um, Obviously, yes, the core Pikmin gameplay is here in full force. And for those few listening who might not be familiar with the franchise, Pikmin is a franchise where you slowly amass this army, this actual army of adorable little alien creatures called Pikmin who are color-coded for different functions. You'll start off with your red Pikmin, who are good against fire enemies and can go through fire obstacles and are probably going to be your base soldier because uh, they do very good damage. You've got your blue Pikmin, who are going to handle like a lot of the water stuff. Your yellow Pikmin, who handle the electricity stuff. You've got flying Pikmin, rock Pikmin, ice Pikmin. There's... I think 10 different Pikmin, eight or 10 different Pikmin in this game now, including a couple additions to the Pikmin family. Uh, Probably the most notable being the new Glow Pikmin, I would say. Yeah, Glow Pikmin Uh, are unique and Ice Pikmin are unique. Yes. Yeah. Um, Then they really doubled down on the Ice Pikmin because you have access to them for most of the game. This is not something to where, oh, hey, we've added something, but we're going to gate it, you know, uh, until you've completed 80% of the title. You get the Ice Pikmin fairly early on, and they're going to be kind of a backbone. They're essentially, (laughs) they were meant to be like halfway in between the Rock Pikmin and the Water Pikmin, which makes sense when you say it out loud like that. Uh, but yeah, the ice Pikmin are really interesting because they can uh, they can actually follow you through water like the water Pikmin can. But in addition to that, they can also like they move across the top of the water. They won't sink, but they will freeze different bodies of water if you throw enough in. If you throw enough into the water, they will actually freeze the water, and that can be used for several different things. A, to freeze and or defeat enemies in that body of water or to create a walkway across which other Pikmin can cross for whatever reason. 
So I do think that they got a lot out of both the ice and glow Pikmin in this game, maybe to the detriment of a couple of the other ones, uh, because I don't know the, like the flying Pikmin and the poison Pikmin specifically, like the purple Pikmin, the super powerful Pikmin, they're supposed to be rare. You're not really supposed to have access to a thousand of those. Uh, but I do think the flying Pikmin and the the uh, the poison Pikmin, the white Pikmin, did get a little shortchanged in this game. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more stuff done with them. I will say they get their moment to shine toward the end of the game, but I do wish they had had a little bit more than just that. Yeah, I mean, you just, they're they're just not, they're not even introduced until somewhat late, and then, like, you you don't even get access to their onion until the post-game, so, like, to, to where you can actually kind of grow them, you know, yourself, um, yes. so, otherwise you'd have to just get them out of caves, so yeah, there's just not a whole lot of, like, implementation of them, um, which is kind of unfortunate. I will say, I do think that the Ice Pikmin are a really neat addition not only because of like what you've said, like, yeah, they, they can freeze water that can be beneficial. They can freeze enemies that can be beneficial, but they're not OP and the game very smartly has incentivized you to sort of collect in multiple ways, incentivized you to sort of like collect the bodies of your like fallen enemies, which is nothing new for Pikmin, But if you do just spam ice Pikmin and freeze them, like if you kill a frozen enemy, that corpse is shattered. You can't carry it back. You can't retrieve it. Yeah. Yeah, You can't scavenge it to use extra Pikmin. Um, Which for, again, anybody confused by that, uh, in addition to your normal ship, the way you propagate more Pikmin is through uh, these little tablets that you can knock off of flowers and through picking up the corpses of your enemies because this is a kid's game. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, you know, as you continue to propagate more Pikmin, you defeat more enemies, you can take the enemies back to, uh, yes, Seth called it an onion. That's the correct term for it. It's this little onion ship with a couple little tentacle legs sticking out the bottom and that propagates more Pikmin for you and you'll get special onion additions that will allow you to have more Pikmin in your party and allow you to propagate different color Pikmin. Uh, So that's how you continue to increase your army because you'll probably lose a couple of them throughout the course of the game. There are a lot of different things that could happen if you accidentally send red Pikmin into water, if you accidentally send uh, water Pikmin into electricity, if they get slurped up by an enemy, there's quite a few dangers out there, and you're probably going to lose a few Pikmin along the way, unfortunately, and it's one of the most heartbreaking things in games. But don't worry you're probably going to have plenty left at the onion to refill your ranks. Yeah. Uh, But I mean, like, why do you need an army in this game? Why do you need dozens and dozens and dozens of these little Pikmin following you around? Well, Seth, I believe when it comes to the actual gameplay of this game, maybe more so than any game we've ever reviewed, I think I can accurately sum up the gameplay of this game in one word. Okay. Dandori. <laughs> yes, Dandori. The uh, Japanese word um, that has been sort of marketed by Nintendo that is, means efficiency, 
basically. It's the feeling of a plan coming together, of having all of your plates spinning and making sure you're utilizing your your uh, Pikmin as efficiently as possible. That is Dondori. We, uh, it's funny because I've also kind of integrated into my real life, uh, last yeah, weekend. <laughs> that's actually, yeah, that's one of the, like the, 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 the tips that show up on the loading screen for the game. Uh, this isn't new. Uh, different games will have different tips that will appear on the loading screen. But one of them is, you know, Dandori is the practice of strategically planning out your tasks in order to get them done more efficiently. And they specifically say in the game, it's a practice you should try in your everyday life. Yeah. Like I've straight up last weekend, my wife was home. I was cooking our meal prep. And then like, as I was waiting for something to cook in the pot, I would run and start our laundry. And then once the laundry started, yep. I ran the dishwasher, like, you know, and I'm like, you know, yeah, I finally have a word to associate you know, with that feeling and yeah, thanks to Pikmin. So yeah, Dondori, but that's, that's the whole point of Pikmin is like Cindy is like, okay, red Pikmin, you go out and you fight this bulb orb while the electric Pikmin knock down this electric wall. I need the rock Pikmin over here to knock down this rock wall while the blue Pikmin are taking this treasure back to the ship. So you can have many plates spinning in this game. It's just up to you to keep them all spinning efficiently and to make sure that nothing interrupts those plates spinning and that everything's being done the way it needs to be. Because with all the enemies and obstacles and things going on in this game, there are a lot of things that could impact your Pikmin being able to perform their tasks. Obviously, the enemies aren't just going to stand around and let themselves be murdered. They are going to fight back. Enemies will surprise you and pop out of places you wouldn't expect. There's a lot of treasure in the game that may be hiding something that uh, may uh, <laughs> that may make it more difficult for your Pikmin to collect them. There's a lot of things going on that could affect your ability to efficiently Dandori. But, uh, but that's kind of the whole onus behind the game is as this adorable little general sending out your Wii Legion to, to do everything that you need to do. Yeah. Well, and people who are listening to this who are fans of real-time strategy games are like, well, this is yeah. nothing new. And it's like, well, yeah. Yeah, Pikmin, this is Nintendo's RTS. Yeah, effectively. I mean, this is a palatable, you know, sort of Nintendo's take on an RTS. And that feeling, that sort of concept has been present in RTS games for decades. And that's exactly what Pikmin taps into. And I think that the reason that I think Pikmin 4's gameplay works so well for me, and I've always liked Pikmin. I've enjoyed them all. We Even when like Pikmin 3 Deluxe came out, we reviewed it on the show. I, I liked all these games. I've enjoyed them. But this is the first one that I've really loved. And I think that it's because everything that you do feeds into that central theme. Everything is in the service of making sure you can Dandori better. You Everything is in the service of making sure that you have more tools to perform those tasks better. Um, and Ochi is at the heart of that, I think. Oh, yes. <laughs> so one of the things that Pikmin 3 Deluxe did to build on this idea of efficiency and having a bunch of plate spinning is Pikmin 3 had three separate playable characters. And oftentimes what the game wanted you to do was take a team of Pikmin with one playable character to one side of the map and then take other characters to other sides of the map and just keep kind of switching between them. 
And I think they found for a lot of people that was just a little bit too much. Sending out different squads of Pikmin was okay. But I think switching between, you know, three separate playable characters was just a a little bit too much nuance for a lot of people. On Wii U, it was awesome. On Wii U, it was really cool because you had the gamepad and you could like utilize that. But yeah, admittedly, it's a lot to wrap your head around. Yeah. Yes. So for Pikmin 4, there is just a single central playable character. However, to still give you a little bit of freedom in that regard, they've given you the best of both worlds with an additional playable character if you so choose, but mostly an assistant in the form of one of the goodest boys that Nintendo first party titles have ever seen, Ochi. And he is the best. I will hear no arguments. I need all the plushes. And anybody who disagrees with me is is wrong. They're just wrong. Uh, you get Ochi very, very early on in the game. I'm sure you've seen him. He's been plastered over just about every photo and piece of media that Nintendo has released for Pikmin 4. He is this adorable little space pup with two legs and no snoot for some reason. But uh, you get him and... He very quickly establishes several skills that will become indispensable for your travel across the game. He learns the ability to swim and transport your Pikmin across water. He learns the ability to attack monsters. He learns the ability to fit through these uh, contextual. There's a lot of stuff that Ochi can do, and you are going to be use you are going to be utilizing him, arguably even more so than you use the Pikmin themselves. And he is a great new addition to the franchise, one that I suspect is here to stay. Yeah, I think so too. Well, and I and I also think that um, there the nice thing about it is is because again, all of these things are feeding into each other. You're collecting things, you're collecting like treasures and resources. You are, you know, earning the, the sparklium resource, which is like a Pikmin staple to unlock new areas. None of that is new, right? But there's also this element that I'm sure we'll get into more of going into the caves, rescuing researchers, getting pup points, which is what it's called, pup points, um, to, to upgrade <laughs> to Ochi, your pup drive, <laughs> to increase your pup drive and, um, and Ochi can improve. And effectively all of that stuff is to make Dondori better. It's to, it, you get little things like the game understands what the annoyances of Pikmin are. The game's like, Hey, uh, how about we give you the ability to buy something that can tell you how many Pikmin you have standing around idle? How about yeah. we let you buy something that lets you call those idle Pikmin back to you? You know, how about yes. we make it so that Ochi can dig faster? Or how about we increase your run speed? Or how about we increase the amount of strength Ochi has to help Pikmin carry things? You know, the game like understands that and kind of like creates a feedback loop around it that I think is really brilliant. Yeah, for the first time in Pikmin history, you have like actual something resembling skill trees and a gear system. Ochi has quite a few skills that you can upgrade and will continue to be upgrading throughout the entire game. You actually need to 100% the game effectively to be able to unlock all of Ochi's skills. So you will be continuing to upgrade and unlock new abilities for the good boy for the entirety of your experience with the game. But in addition to that, 
the the machinist, the engineer, also has a bunch of gear that Seth is just talking about that give you new abilities. Yes, you can uh, you have a much better understanding of what's going on with your Pikmin. You can call the Pikmin to uh, your location. You can call the Pikmin to go back to the ship. Like if it's the end of the day and there's like seven idle Pikmin walking around, you have no clue where they are. You can throw the homesick beacon out there. You can increase the toughness of yourself and Ochi. You can increase the the resistances of yourself and Ochi. And in addition to that, there's actually quite a few consumable items that you get access to that you can use throughout the course of the game as well. And there's some really interesting strategies. I'm sure a lot of people, myself included, are just going to kind of just throw their entire squad of Pikmin at most of the problems. Yeah. But but it turns out if you experiment a little bit, there are some really interesting strategies you can employ with just with the items you can throw out. There's an item that attracts creatures over to a certain area. There are, you know, like actual bombs that you can throw out and shout out to the Piclopedia in this game, the bestiary in this game, uh, because not only do you get to see the different creatures that you've interacted with in the game, the Piclopedia gives you the ability to, within a little confined context, to throw all of the items that you have access to just to see how the different creatures react to them. Mm-hmm. So if you just want to bring that up in the Piclopedia, bring up an Emperor Bulbax and just start chucking bombs at it in the Piclopedia, you can do that, which is just great. But it's also a great way to train up to to experiment with stuff in a consequence-free environment. So that was a really subtle but very nice addition to the Piclopedia. I appreciate that. But that made me learn that... You can, without using Pikmin at all, if you're going up against a strong enemy, you can maybe throw a little carrot out there to get the monster to go where you want and then just throw a bomb right on top of the carrot. And I mean, there you go. There's half your fight right there. So I would, I would recommend experimenting with the, uh, experimenting with the items. You absolutely don't have to use them. Uh, and I really appreciate the fact that for the most part, the game leaves it up to your discretion. However, if you want to open that door, there's a lot of stuff that you can do with the consumable items in this game. In addition to all the different upgrades and gear that you can get for yourself and Ochi, in addition to all the different new Pikmin that you unlock and the onions that you unlock, you know, like you really feel at the end of this game, you really feel like you are a different character and a much more uh, capable character with a much more capable good boy at the end of it. It was a really, really satisfying loop. Yeah, I mean, it's it's more of an RPG than a lot of RPGs are, frankly, um, which is kind of which is kind of cool, and I and I enjoy that about the game, and I like too. Um, yeah, the the way that it sort of like keeps unfolding, the way it sort of peels back. Um, more and more layers the deeper in you get um, because while the a lot of the stress element has been sort of scaled back uh, with this one, um, which I think that, you know, hardcore Pikmin fans might take a little bit of issue with. 
Um, yes. You know, a lot of the sort of like resource management, like in Pikmin 3, the whole thing was you needed to get food. You had to manage food every day. You're going to be eating and stuff. And if you ran out of food, it's like game over. But there's a lot of even that like there's a lot of ways to circumvent that. You're not really in that much danger, you know, of running yeah, out of food. But there was but there was still like a soft timer going on in that game. Yeah, there's still and, something, right? And in this yeah. one there's not. Like in this one it's you have unlimited days. Like you can take as your rescue mission could be as long as it wants to be. Um yeah. like there's still a day night cycle. There is still the element of you have a limited amount of time to explore before you have to sort of like return to base. But um but the actual like resource management element of Pikmin has been effectively completely removed in that way in favor of just, you know, again, that feedback loop, that collection loop. It is, let's worry less about resource management and stress, and let's worry more about collecting. And while I can see people taking issue with that, for me personally, that was my preference. Like, I, I like this change, personally. Yeah, um, and instead of collecting food to give you resources to be able to continue to explore longer, the food and the other treasures in the game, it also opened up Pikmin to have a bunch of other new treasures and new items that you could find and collect. Instead, all of these treasures give you this sparklium uh, resource, which itself is used uh, to to explore more of the game. You unlock new areas of the game by collecting more sparklium. So that's essentially what the treasures boil down to now, is you collect them so that you can progress throughout the game. But there's, I mean, uh, I think there's like three times as much in the game as you actually need to get to the, yeah. the final area in the main game. I will say there is a decent little... Uh, extra mode that you can unlock in Pikmin 4 that does have that time management, that resource management that does have that timer going on. If you are, if you're, if you really missed that from the core title, there is a side mode that, that definitely has that going for it. And it's fun. And I recommend going through it. That one only took me about three hours, but it was really, really cool. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, but outside of the side mode and outside of everything else, we talked about Pikmin 4 being essentially Nintendo's RP, uh, RTS. And we've talked about Ochi, we've talked about the items, and we've talked about the new Pikmin and everything. But I really want to talk about how much they doubled down on this game of being an RTS-style experience with several new kind of mini-games essentially several new real gameplay implements that were thrust into the main story mode. Things that had been in the game as like multiplayer modes specifically, like especially in Pikmin 3 Deluxe, but here we have in the main game several really, really interesting, really cool minigame style gameplay experiences uh, with uh, Dandori battles, with Dandori challenges and with the nighttime expeditions that I thought were all really cool additions that helped break up the hours and hours of telling Pikmin, go over here, collect this, go over here, collect this. It was just enough of a change in the formula for me to 
to for me to be really intrigued and really happy when I saw one of those pop up. Yeah, I agree. Like the, you know, we talked about the caves. They're basically little dungeons. You go through them. Usually there's multiple layers. You have to solve little puzzles, collect the things in them. Time doesn't pass in there. At the end of it, there's typically some sort of boss encounter and you rescue some people. Rinse, repeat. That's all good, you know. Um, mm-hmm. you've got the Dundori battles where you are either collecting as much as possible inside of a time limit or going actively going against an opponent, which is really cool. And you actually Those can are so fun, the super fun. And you actually can do that in local like versus multiplayer as well. Yeah. Um, if you, if you want to, which is neat. Um, I will say there is a co-op mode in the game and it's a huge letdown. Uh, the co-op mode in Pikmin 3 is actually quite cool. Um, and I know that there are you know a lot of people that, that sort of, you know, really enjoyed playing Pikmin 3 in co-op. Pikmin 4 co-op, unfortunately, is basically like Mario Galaxy co-op, where the other yeah. person just has like a pointer and they shoot some rocks. They, they shoot pebbles, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that kind of sucks. But um, yeah. that, that is what it is. But yeah, the... Um, and then yeah, you've got that you've got that nighttime expedition where that's where the glow Pikmin come in, and it's effectively tower defense. Yeah, you know. it's tower defense mode. Yeah, and it's it's really cool because obviously, if you know Pikmin, you know that the entire reason that there's a day night cycle, the entire explanation behind that is because the monsters become frenzied at night and it's too dangerous to explore. But now here in Pikmin 4, we actually get to see what that looks like. And it is admittedly really, really cool. I like the way the glow Pikmin have been implemented in this game. They are, you'll, you'll mostly see them during the nighttime expeditions. However, there may be a way to, to, to see them outside of that. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, it was really cool to for Nintendo to basically look at their RTS and be like, you know what? We can we can make this more of an RTS, can't we? And sure enough, they did. I, I really hope that uh, they like just add more of this as far as I'm concerned. Even the even the maximum difficulty stuff I didn't find too challenging. And I think a lot of people will find that as the difficulty increases, mostly it's the complexity of the situation and not necessarily the difficulty of the situation that is increasing the stars. That's not to say that I didn't have to try a couple of them again, but for the most part, there wasn't a single one of those challenges, even going into the end of the game that I was really just like, I have no clue how to do this. Uh, But speaking of retrying, Uh, This game, like so many modern titles, also has a rewind function. So that's there. And there were a couple times I used it. I mostly didn't. But there were a couple times, especially going through the dungeons, where you can effectively just go back to the beginning of the uh, go back to the beginning of the, the floor. Yeah. There were a couple times I had to use it, but that's also there if you do need to use it. It's there if you want to use it during the Dandori challenges, you can reset. It's there if you want to use it during the nighttime expeditions, you can restart. It's there during the the dungeons, uh, during the caves, if you want to restart a floor or something. So because one of the one of the kind of hidden drawbacks of Pikmin is 
if, you know, as long as you've got a full squad, the game plays really well. But if you do wind up losing a lot of your Pikmin, the game can, it can really, really be impacted quite a bit. And the one big thing that you'll notice very quickly about the caves specifically is that there's no way to naturally propagate more Pikmin in the caves. That's one of the challenges the caves have is that the only new Pikmin you get are the ones you find down there. No matter how many corpses you bring back to your ship, you can't actually propagate more Pikmin in caves. So if you make a huge mistake on the first floor and lose half your squad, you may honestly just want to restart because I don't know if you want to take a half squad through the rest of the cave. So, but just know that going into caves, uh, there are no, there's no way to naturally propagate Pikmin. There's a couple ways to get around that, but there's no way to naturally propagate them in the cave. So I was happy that they did have that kind of rewind functionality to remove what could have been more frustrating circumstances. Yeah. And that's, I mean, the thing is too, is I know there are a lot of people who sort of relish in the, you know, old school difficulty of like Pikmin one and two, especially, uh, and that's fine. It's, it's optional. Like you don't have to use any of that stuff, any of these accessibility options, you don't have to use it. If you want to just play no rewinds, like I, I want to like live without, with all the mistakes and punishments, you can totally do that. Like that's, you oh, know, yes. that's fine. So I, I, I was thankful for it in a few situations where it did save me some potential frustration. So I was personally quite thankful for it. And I think it's a great accessibility, you know, feature. I think that what is really clear about Pikmin 4 is that this is the game that Nintendo wants to hit. Like Nintendo wants this to finally be the Pikmin game that sort of catches, you know, Pikmin has always been a favorite for Nintendo and Miyamoto in particular. Um, it's kind of Miyamoto's baby. He loves Pikmin and Pikmin's never really caught on. And I think that a lot of these little changes and moves are in the service of, well, we want to strike a balance of feeling like the Pikmin that you know and love, but appealing to like casting a wider net to hopefully capture a little bit of mainstream appeal because Pikmin on paper, you know, it should have some semblance of mainstream appeal, but it just hasn't until now, hopefully. So, yeah, well, I mean, uh, the numbers do speak for themselves and Pikmin four is already selling yeah, it's very well. well. And I'm sure, I'm sure it will sell much better now that people have listened to our review, but <laughs> I mean, but, but I think just in closing, when it comes to the gameplay, it takes everything that you expect from Pikmin gameplay, gives you a couple new Pikmin to try out, which get added to the roster, I think, very well, maybe to the detriment of a couple of the older members, but I think they are added to the roster very well. You get a brand new assistant in Ochi who slots perfectly into the gameplay. You get a ton of upgradable skills, gear, and con uh, consumable items. You get a ton of new places that you can explore, and you get several new mini game style gameplay implements. They have added, when it comes to the gameplay, they have expanded uh, on the Pikmin franchise a lot with this game. And honestly, I think it all hit for me. I can't really think of a single thing in Pikmin 4 from a gameplay edition standpoint that I was like, nah, I think they can take this out with the next one. Basically, all of it is like, yes, keep the upgradable skills, keep Ochi, 
keep all these extra gameplay modes, keep all of this moving forward. Yeah. I, I wish Dondori battles were online. I wish you could. Oh my God. That'd be amazing. Yeah. I, oh. I wish you could do that. I think that'd be great. In fact, I think that that would be a great like post-launch update to the game. I think that would be fantastic if the game like sells well. Um, but I mean, like these are minor, minor complaints. I mean, like the biggest complaint that I can have with the game is I wish that Dondori battles were online and the way they handled the credit, the, the first credits roll was kind of weird. That's really my yeah. two like complaints. Like overall, I had a great time. Like this, this is a great yeah. game. And again, this is the first Pikmin game that I've really gravitated towards. This is the first one that I feel like I can say, okay, like I get it. I have long felt like there's been a bit of a wall of glass between Pikmin and I, and Pikmin and four broke that down for me. Like Pikmin four was the one I was like, yes, like finally, I feel like I'm speaking Pikmin's language. I feel like we're starting to kind of warm up to each other. And, um, I was, I was really <laughs> happy with it by the end. And the last thing that I'm going to say is for me, as I'm sure for many of you, the way that a game ends is very important. And for me, the way I view this narrative, the what is technically the post game where you end the story that you began, the end of it, the final stretch of the game leading into the final boss is like proper epic end of game with one of my favorite bosses on the Nintendo Switch, honestly. And that goes really far for me, especially uh, with that book ending my experience with with this game that was a really great note to go out on left just left me wanting more there is more to delve into i think the amount of stuff even beyond that will surprise a couple people uh the amount of post game content the amount of stuff that you can get into will surprise some people but honestly a few things aside i completely agree with seth hope they add online uh, dandori battles I think the the credits thing was a little weird, but that's kind of it. I think this is solidly the new best game in the franchise now and a a a huge step up from from previous entries. I I just need more of it at this point. Yeah, it's pretty good. Good game. I liked it. <laughs> and the game calls cherries Cupid's grenade. Game of the year. <laughs> those, those are always good. I there look. You can find a peach and it calls it a mock bottom, which is pretty funny. <laughs> yes, yeah. That's that's legit. Low key, one of my favorite things about Pikmin is because these are all supposedly alien objects. What they call them, I yeah. I absolutely love it. It's so funny the different terms and names that Pikmin has for all of these real world items. And I'm just, I'm just going to tell you this one because it's amazing. We've all seen the game boy advance from the trailer. We yeah. know that's in the game. The game calls it the stone of advancement. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they call the game boy advance. The stone of advancement. Yep. Game of the year. Plenty of, um, plenty of like Nintendo, you know, references and Easter eggs and, yeah. That genuinely made us think that Nintendo was listening to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There were some crazy coincidences with stuff that we found. But yeah, uh, it, Pikmin 4 is is really, really great, you guys. It shouldn't come as any surprise, 
But if you're looking for a great summer game to close out your summer, it comes highly recommended from me. Mm -hmm. Agreed. (laughs) Co-signed. But let us know if uh, you guys are picking up Pikmin 4. Let us know if you have played it. Let us know what your thoughts on Pikmin 4 are. We would love to conversate with you. Reach out to us at All In on Twitter slash X and Facebook. Make sure to follow our Discord. Join our amazing community over in the Discord. Also, make sure to check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash All In Podcast, where if you want to actually see the game in action, Seth put up a gameplay video of the demo a little while back. So you streamed can actually see the game yeah. in motion. Yeah, we streamed it as well. Yeah, good point. Uh, so yeah, we've we've been doing a lot of stuff with Pikmin over the past couple weeks. So make sure to check all of that out. Like, subscribe, click the bell, all that good YouTube stuff. Uh, like I said, check out that video. Check out all of Seth's uh, and my uh, other videos on the YouTube channel. All the content that we've made, including we think you might be interested to know that we even create exclusive con- uh, content for our patrons. We do. Patreon.com slash all in podcast uh, is the place to be. We've got three tiers of support over there. You can get a seven day free trial to the golden banana tier over there. Uh, That's super appreciated. Check it out. We do exclusive content there every week for some amazing friends and supporters. Um, We've also got merch bit.ly slash all in merch. If you want to throw a few bones our way, you can get yourself a a shirt or a mug or a sticker. We appreciate that. But if you don't have, have any bones to throw away, that's okay too. You can drop some words entirely for free. Leave us five-star reviews on your podcast listening app of choice, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Audible, Spotify, whatever. Drop some words with that review and I will shout it out here on the show. Help us climb the ranks and get our show in front of the people that need to hear it. Thank you very much. Yes, absolutely. Thank you very much to all of you amazing legendary patrons. Thank you so much to all of you people who have dropped words on your favorite podcasting service and all of you who have even just shared our content across the internet. We want to shout out to you and give you a huge namaste. Namaste. Another one down. We, uh, we, you know, summer, I'm glad we got to do like a summer themed episode before summer yeah. ran out. Yeah. Yeah. It's back to school next week for a lot of people. And we got summer slam this weekend, which of course you guys know, I'll be watching. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was nice to really celebrate, like properly celebrate the summer this week. And I mean, the celebration never really stops with all in. We've got another great episode lined up for you next week. We can already confirm next week. We will be doing our full review of Disney illusion Island. Mm-hmm. The Switch exclusive Disney platform of the return of the Illusion series. You guys can look forward to our full review of that next week. In addition to a few other things that have yet to be revealed. Stay tuned. What a tease. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go enjoy the beach a little bit this weekend. But how about you? Um, I'm not going to the beach, but hey, it's it's too hot. I'll stay inside. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> that's completely fair. But regardless, guys, we will see you right back here next week for another brand new episode. But until then, I have been Super Eric 64. And I have been Disney Seth Storm. We'll see you next week. You love you very much. Bye. Bye. Bye.